Welcome to the Ether. Today is Friday, October 28th, 2022. Today on the Ether, Achepe Space. The cosmos expands. Congratulations, Osmosis. Let's take a listen. Hey guys. Uh, I'm sure you've kind of heard the news. Osmosis was listed on Binance, which is cool. Kind of led to this little bit of a osmosis price pump which is nice if you guys have lps and stuff on there um rarma or aren't are you guys around i'm like talking to myself here <laughs> trying to wait to see if bruce and all the nerds will come hop on as well waiting for everyone to wake up here or whatever they're doing the following is a conversation with yay yo i was uh rarma, just to stop. how you doing man oh yeah what you up to uh, just got finished doing the yard work, so just sitting down, catching up on crypto crypto, as King Don would say. Mm. Uh, just having a look. Um, Potmos has uh, just released a. He's released his GitHub uh, for his created a no pixels bot. So I'm going to run it. Uh, for Juno's No Pixel and get my face, my avatar on No Pixel for fun. Mm, okay. Yeah. Uh, other than that, not much, mate. Just just chilling. Cool. Yeah, just uh, kind of uh, trying to catch up on things today. The uh, yeah. So I guess the besides the osmosis uh, thing, anything else uh, new you guys saw today? I was kind of catching up on the uh, stable diffusion stuff and sort of the AI dif- AI uh, stuff coming out of stable AI. Uh, Have you been following all that? I haven't. Uh, I just got up this morning, uh, went to the park with the family, did some yard work and sat down. I listened to the liquid, station, st- liquid staking uh, spaces earlier. That was good. Um, but I haven't, haven't really. Yeah, near the near the end of it, I kind of fell asleep, so it's like I didn't get, I didn't, I didn't get a chance to ask anything. Mm. Do you plan to use like any liquid stake assets? Nah, it's a meme. The only thing I'll use it for is ARB, like I'm mm-hmm. doing now. So you can just basically, uh, as each of the liquid staking modules come out, people are just going to move from one to the next that highest that pr- offers the highest yield, uh, and as people exit. Uh, each of the liquid staking modules, there's a nice ARB opportunity for the liquid staked asset um, mm-hmm. that you can kind of, uh, you know, depending on the unbonding period, you can kind of arbitrage the liquid staked asset and get extra liquid stake, uh, extra assets when you unbond. Uh, so I'm just doing that. Mm-hmm. I don't really have too much of an interest in liquid staking myself. So <clears throat> liquid staking actually has some. Uh, 
very good, interesting applications that uh, uh, I'd like to see built. Mm. Well, first, the downside. The downside is obviously uh, that you can wind up with some unusual sort of governance problems, obviously liquid staked assets disconnect your assets from the like process of um you know voting which you know unless you can preserve that it's like a, a break between like what you own and what you vote for to some extent right um i guess pupmos is sort of working on solutions for that but let's assume that all else being equal um, capital is going to be efficient and there's going to be a tendency for people to want liquid staked assets if for nothing more just like optimization of APYs so that uh, you essentially will be able to buy a coin uh, and have its sort of value go up over time um, and of course yeah though there's going to be ARB opportunities with liquid staked assets just because um, there's kind of a the the coin itself has to go up in value but that value will tend not to stay pegged to the true value of the um like it, it's not going to stay pegged to the true value of the growth of that coin if that makes sense um so is that the arb you're trying to play with generally like the the discrepancy between what a liquid staked asset should be worth and what it actually is trading for at that moment yeah, so uh, an example is uh, as people, uh, they stake their assets, they get their liquid stake derivative, uh, which generally should be a one-to-one -one ratio. Uh, people will then want to go and do things with that liquid staked asset. So when they uh, sell those assets, it depegs the staked asset. So essentially what you can do is take your native asset uh into their liquid staking protocol, unstake it. Uh, sorry, you take your normal asset, swap it for the liquid staked asset in which you will get more value for money uh, because it's depegged. You can then take your staked asset derivative uh, into their protocol, unstake it, wait the unstaking period and get X amount more assets for just the unbonding period risk-free. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the, these kinds of ARBs are kind of fun um, and uh, or, or one opportunity. Another sort of thing, though, Ramar, uh, did you catch up with when Bruce and I were talking about uh, like grid bots and things? Mm. I didn't. Have you ever used a grid bot before? Yes. So if you'll notice when you use a grid bot, um, Let's say you're on a KuCoin or Binance or whatever. Which one do you use, Binance or KuCoin generally? Like just like so KuCoin. Yeah. So you, you, if you've used KuCoin's grid bots, you'll notice that you could pick um, a grid range. You can pick an asset you want to trade, a couple of assets you want to trade against. Let's say, for example, you could trade like um, you know Bitcoin USDT or something like that. And um, let's think about this first off from the perspective of a trading pair where you don't have yield on either asset, right? So if you just have a Bitcoin USDT, then whatever grid you're running, 
your yield is, you know, based on the buys and sells at the various, you know, price grid increments, right? Um, and you know that's that's cool, but uh, when you go to using uh, what would normally be a staked asset, let's say you run a grid with Adam in it, for example, one of the problems, uh, one of the sort of issues when you do that is you're not actually getting any yield for your Adam token while you're waiting. Uh, and you're also not getting any yield for your um, stablecoin while you're waiting. So you're sort of giving that up as you um, enter into this like grid position. So in theory, uh, assuming you are going to run for a year or more, or, you know, a longer term uh, bot strategy of some kind, especially if it's a more conservative bot strategy with a very wide range, uh, let's say, for example, right now, Adam's price is like $13. Like you could, you know, maybe make a range of Adam from like, let's say $5 to $200, like a really, really wide range, let's say. Um, and you just want to run this thing in autopilot. Or um, you want to run like a rebalancer bot, which would be like, uh, let's say, um, an Adam Osmo rebalancer bot, which in many ways behaves like a Adam Osmo LP. But imagine um, in, instead of just like every time a 1% uh, delta happens that you get, you know, a buy or sell of the underlying asset, you also have the liquid staked version that you're counter trading. So uh, I don't know what osmosis is uh, like prices right now. I think, it's, I mean, I'm sorry, yield is right now, but, but let's assume it was like uh, 20%. Um, and then 40, I think. Is it 40? 40? Okay, yeah, 40. Yeah. So, and then let's say you have a liquid staked um, coin of Osmo, and then you had like the liquid staked coin of Adam at, let's say, 19%. So now, if you take those two coins and you run those in a grid bot, or in this instance, probably a simpler thing would be a rebalancer bot. So you're using a 1% rebalancer so that if the price of Osmo goes up by 1%, uh, it's going to sell some of that, um, you know, to maintain, let's say, a 50-50 pool, uh, similar to a LP position, and it's going to buy you some Atom, right? And then if the price of Atom goes up, same thing. So this is a basically a rebalancing concept, but unlike a traditional rebalancer like you would use in KuCoin, the liquid staked coins wind up getting you... Um, you have the baked in yield of um, the individual coins. So it, let's say on average here in this rebalancer example, your yield is 30%. But a, trip, a typical grid bot, if you can get adequate volatility or rebalancer bot may have a typical yield, even in a non, um, even if the individual coins don't yield anything, oftentimes yields like anywhere between 40 to uh, like 120%. Um, APY, depending on the volatility of the individual assets in the mix. Usually, if you trade against a stablecoin, um, you know, because obviously there's always a trade there uh, with any volatility, um, you'll end up getting somewhere between, yeah, like 50 to 120% APY. So now you're boosting that by having the liquid stake versions in the system, right? So um, that's sort of like the most supercharged. Um, way to earn enough yield to where even if the value of the coin were to drop like anywhere from 50 to 80%, you're still staying ahead over the long run. 
Um, and in a rebalancer scenario, you actually are exposed to the coins you want, and you're constantly getting more of the coin you want. And you are um, assuming you want both coins, like an Osmo Atom rebalancer uh, pool, for example. Um, and you could make that three coins, like Atom uh, Osmo Stars, for example. Then uh, what happens after that is you can take uh, you can take that a step further. Uh, Nebula Protocol and some others on Terra were were about to do this before the whole like you know crash incident. Uh, God rest uh, Terra Soul. Um, <laughs> um, and uh, like a lot of cool stuff was coming out. And one of those is that once you have this model, you start realizing, wait a minute, the problem with KuCoin is the fees are high. So I don't know what they are right now, but like your fee per trade might be running like somewhere between 0.1 to 0.3%. So you are actually having to get even higher volatility in order to skim that um, bot trading money, right? Like, so you're, you, you pocket a lot more money if the fees are close to zero is a way to think about that. So what you could do is you could do this in DeFi um, where you do um, like uh, community rebalance pools where people are incentivized to rebalance one side or the other. And you can wind up with these weird systems where not only is the fee really low, but it's also tax efficient because there's no transactions in between. Uh, you can also issue a coin that represents the rebalancer pool. So instead of you owning like the Osmo staked coin, the Atom staked coin, and the stable coin, let's say in a rebalancer pool, you actually own a coin called the Cephi coin. And um, the coin value like goes up over time. Um, you know, to represent the value of the, the relative change in value of that particular pool. So you get to these really, really, what's that? Go ahead. Sorry. This, it sounds very, very similar to uh, what Sommelier, Sommelier has just re released, right? Yeah, that may be, yeah, that might be very close. I haven't reviewed theirs um, directly, but yeah, these are the kinds of things that can be produced. And then you can also have like strategies that are designed by the community and such as well um uh other ways you could do it is you could just take you don't even have to have liquid stake versions of this if you have community pools you can actually have the yield actually get redirected into different uh avenues like let's say for example you want a strategy that largely focuses on taking the yield from other things and buying you more atom or maybe you want the strategy to be we want the yield from the other things to actually go to the thing with the highest yield or you want the yield from other things to be ported into uh, like the thing with the lowest market cap or something like that, just because you're, you know, it increases your like speculative growth potential or something of the, that nature. Um, so you can do these kinds of things where they rebalance aggressively and you have a single coin representing the, the summation of all of this shit. And uh, you can do really cool stuff and, and it becomes uh, really, really tax efficient with almost no fees in between. Um, with any fees generated in the background, you know, going towards the the protocol or whatever, uh, so they make money, uh, and uh, and then you basically eliminate the need for like KuCoin bots and uh, Binance bots and stuff like that, and you can do all of this stuff in DeFi. So before the Terra fiasco, like this was kind of the stuff that was 
not only like um, I had like tons and tons of discussions about how to build this, but how to accomplish this without the high cost of like AMMs, because like when you use an AMM, you wind up with uh, a lot of fees um, that can be fairly high when you include the combination of slippage plus AMM fees. Um, because really in Ontario at the time, we didn't have any kind of order book based system, like what say network is trying to build or DYDX. Once you have order based order book based systems and yeah, you can bring down fees per trade and you can run grid bots much cheaper. And ultimately you can do, um, better at making money, uh, with these type of systems than you can on current, um, centralized exchanges. Um, a lot of cool shit can be built. You can actually just copy a bunch of stuff like strategies that have been created on platforms like Bitsgap and other things. And you can do all this shit in DeFi and you don't even know how to, you, at, uh, eventually you don't even have to know how this shit works. All you have to do is go like, oh, okay, I, I want yield from staking. I want yield from this coin staking. I want yield from uh, the, the grid that's running and the rebalancing effect, whatever. And you just sort of pick the strategy and you can just like buy into that directly. Um, so yeah, like just very, very, um, uh, highly focused, hyper-focused on automating these processes. So like the end result of proof of stake yield bearing assets, ultimately like the pinnacle of like, uh, machine automation of this shit is essentially what I just described. And, um, unfortunately like Nebula and some of the protocols that were, were, establishing on Terra and, you know, had all the infrastructure built and all that shit. Um, those are the things that uh, were about to open before, like, the decimation of Luna. And a lot of protocols got wrecked and had to kind of start over and stuff. But the ideas are there. And with uh, IBC and some of the liquid stake solutions coming out, I think all of these kind of ideas will be brought to fruition within the Cosmos. Um, like in short order, like, and there'll be probably app chains that focus on this, uh, like sommelier and others. Um, yeah. And there's lots of different ways to do this, by the way, but the tax efficiency is super key because if you're in a system that's doing all this in the background and you can just simply invest in the coin, then you buy the coin for, let's say, I don't know, thousand dollars. And later you sell it for $2,000 and you have a single taxable event of like $1,000 capital gains. When you do it via a grid bot on or something like that on a, another exchange, and assuming you want to like you know do your taxes properly, um, you're not trying to skirt the law or something. Uh, then you have the way that those systems report it, like through Coinly or whatever, is they literally uh, every single buy and sell gets reported. So you're actually accruing uh, taxes that if you don't realize you have to pay, then you know like if the price of your coins or something goes down, you've already like accrued a taxable uh, gain pile. But like, let's say whatever you bought crashed for some reason. Now you're like, shit, like, I don't have the money to pay those taxes unless you set those monies aside, you know, during the, the botting process. So anyway, the point is like for people that know what they're doing, these kinds of techniques will, uh, will attract large money eventually because like, I don't know, it's super, super efficient. And generally speaking, it's only like fairly intellectual people that tend to go and like run a grid bot or something because you know, like who would know what these things are like, unless you've played around on exchanges and in crypto and you've analyzed this shit for a while. Right. It's not like the random customer on Binance who shows up and it's like, Oh, I want something to moon. That's not the person who you're 
creating this for generally. Right. So in, in that sense, it's like uh, the type of capital that flows into these kinds of things can be fairly large if you do it correctly. And, um, you know, and maybe some of the right places to build these things would be like, say, network or or DYDX, because those platforms will have um, low transaction fees for different types of um, exchanges. There's, at least that's the idea, at least when you have uh, market makers creating order books. Uh, you know, you'll have uh, hopefully low fees, as low as like maybe 0.1%, things like that, which um, to make these things profitable, like that's about the right number. 0.1 to 0.2% is a good amount for fees. If you go higher than that, then remember like the trading, the difference between the two coins that you're trading, you know, let's say um, you're trading on a 1% difference in price. Um, and for a trade to execute and that's minus the fees. So like if your fees are 0.3%, you have to have a 1.3% difference to the price of two coins in order to make this profitable. Right. So by eliminating that or making the fees dramatically lower, um, the relative amount of money that goes back to the user, as opposed to the actual platform, like a Binance or KuCoin or whatever, um, you know, changes dramatically. So for right now, like KuCoin, Binance, they have offered these trading products like grid bots and rebalancers and this and that. And they've done so in order to make lots of trading fees. Uh, eventually, like you have to imagine the DeFi versions of these are going to take up increasingly um, and through competition, they're going to take up increasingly amount the the money and the, the trading volume when it comes to these things. Um, as they rightfully should, and it's more of a Web3 experience where the user keeps more of the, the trading money um, than the platform. Uh, so, yeah, that's kind of my, that's what my utility for liquid staked assets is to, like, use them in um, trading engines and such. And, um, I, and another thing is interesting is, like, so these types of primitives when you create sort of like um, ETF style primitives into a token, then those tokens can be used for other fun things. Like for example, you can grid bot those tokens, like, right? So you can do all sorts of uh, wacky shit like that. Or you could use those tokens in say, for example, a treasury. So let's say um, an NFT project or something like that simply wants to um, expose their NFT holders to the value generation of this particular asset, then you could basically buy that particular coin using the funds of the treasury. And now the treasuries have like interesting ETF assets. Um, and you can tie that into your like NFT project fairly readily. Um, other things you can do with that is, okay, so you have these, um, uh, me think about this but i had an idea here so yeah oh yeah the other thing is you could have um interesting uh like cross-chain applications using these um when andromeda protocol comes along so andromeda is going to be a drag and drop protocol where you can do a sequence of interesting events um and you can tie those events to um like an nft for example um, it, there'll be like an, a marketplace of um, like if then this, that type of things where let's say, for example, you want to trade two coins on osmosis. 
Well, you can make that a um, you can make that a object. Let's say you want to um, tie that object, like the trading on a Dex, to an NFT. Um, you can connect those two things, and then you can basically just drag and drop this with like little. I don't know if, what's the best way to describe this. Um, if you've done home automation or any kind of like uh, trying to think, what's that visual? Um, Robert, do you have what's that visual programming tool that kids learn on um, with the little puzzle pieces? You know, like when they learn coding. I'm trying to figure. Remember the. Uh, I don't. I don't exactly know uh, what that mm-hmm. is, but uh, I know like the if this then that type scenario. Yeah, um, well, and basically you make visual objects and you just drag and drop them, so you don't need to know how to code to make this work. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So you make little objects that you can kind of put together, and you can sequence logic statements and things like that but you don't have to actually know how to like type out the code for those things anyway um so those kinds of things are coming to cosmos with andromeda you tie them into these interesting uh yield primitives and what you create is essentially a capital explosion like tons of money flows in when you create these kind of interesting um uh, derivatives and you know uh, like easier to use things where um and, and if you can make them secure enough, obviously, so so they're you don't have a bunch of smart contract risks and whatever, uh, then um, yeah, you get a lot of capital flow into these type of things. Where um, now the downside is, of course, like the more of these kind of things that happen, the more you disconnect the underlying assets of an ecosystem from governance, which arguably is one of the core functions of a coin of the ecosystem. So if you're a purist or something, you're not going to like it. I think Jake Juan had mentioned occasionally like he doesn't like liquid staking and one time he's like well we should ban it and i'm like well how are you gonna do that like it literally like is one of the like uh it's like a game theoretical endpoint to liquid staking i'm sorry to staking proof of stake assets that something like this was going to be created eventually right so it's almost like saying well if you say we're well, gonna ban this you know it's almost like saying well cosmos doesn't work which um I guess it's possible that the jury's out as to, as far as like long term. How does the game theory of liquid staking play out? How do you preserve decentralization? How do you preserve like community voting and all of that in the process? Um, so it's it's not clear. Yeah. And I think uh, you know proof of stake uh, will evolve over time, uh, and I think fundamentally the current version of proof of stake. Uh, has many flaws that we'll we'll find out about over time. Uh, for me, kind of fundamentally, you can kind of see it already happening across multiple chains already. Uh, you know, the power ends up being centralized. You know, in certain validators, uh, governance becomes uh, a heated topic, and people who don't like certain governance proposals. If it doesn't go their way, they tend to exit their positions and go and find a chain that aligns more with their views uh, until you end up in the situation where we are currently within the world where people go to find their little happy bubble uh, for the majority uh, and you kind of keep segregating yourselves into these groups until you find something that you perfectly align with. Uh, So... You know, you already see it across a number of chains, uh, both of those things, you know, centralization of vote power uh, and people exiting certain chains based on 
a particular governance proposal um, that yeah, they may yeah. not agree with. Well, I guess that's sort of like the the point of sovereignty and the point of that diversity is that people can go wherever they want to go. Because also a lot of people show up for one thing or the other, but they don't really have an idea what the vision is for that particular chain. Uh, a lot of it's really the chain's fault, honestly. Like if you look at many of the projects that open up, I've been kind of mentioning this, like most projects don't, they have a technical vision statement. Um, like for example, we want to have um, liquid stake assets or we want to have whatever, but they don't get into the nuances of what the the constitution and vision statement for their project is. I think there's probably, um, I think there's probably going to end up being like a standard set of values that most people in DeFi, most people in life want, whether it's like a bill of rights, like in a constitution or like certain types of features of a blockchain, say, for example, censorship resistance um, or um, centralization versus decentralization, et cetera. And I think um, chains are going to have to decide which of those values they're going to commit to. And I think once we, it's almost like you create a list uh, with some checkboxes next to it with a slider that says like one to 10, right? And um, each chain's going to have like, you know, when you launch or sometime during the, the process, you're going to want like the community to sort of like be voting on, wait, do we want more centralization? Do we want more decentralization? Do we want um, censorship resistance? Do we want it po to be possible for an outside authority to actually censor transactions if there's some kind of like, I don't know, like legal authority that comes after you, right? Um, which has happened, I think. So um, those kinds of things. Um, so ultimately, I think the values of the chain and the cosmos have not been clarified on any chain, quite frankly. Um, it seems like it's very reactionary. Uh, like, for example, when something bad happens, okay, let's all get together and figure out what we're going to do, right? Whereas, you know, that's a sort of reactive process. I think to some extent, um, blockchain governance is going to be about you know, creating a set of guardrails that you as a chain will simply not deviate from ever, right? So um, it's it, it's it's super funny you kind of say that because uh, I was talking to some of the kind of core two people. Uh, I put up a, a poll for Juno a couple of weeks ago just uh, to reduce the unbonding period from, say, 28 days. And I put options of 28 days, 21 days, uh, and 14 days. And I was like, hey, like, you know, I think there's probably two key things that uh, we should focus on. Uh, one, uh, I saw um, uh, the Frey, who's a core two member, uh, put up like some sort of draft constitution idea uh, to kind of put an end to the Prop 16 uh, whale saga, uh, basically saying that, uh, you know, putting in the constitution that says, you know, that that kind of thing can never happen again on the Juno chain. Uh, the discussion right, was right. around uh, the Binance listing and how cool and nice that is for the ecosystem and Osmo in particular. And then, you know, they're like, oh, you know, uh, you know, uh, I wonder when Binance is going to list Juno, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, never. Uh, especially, like, they're, nef they're never going to do custodial staking of Juno. And they're like, why? I'm like, would you? Like, would you come 
uh, as a central exchange and potentially have, say, 10 or more percent of voting power as custodial vote power uh, and feel safe on Juno after what happened with the whale. Uh, and uh, my point was to say, hey, have a constitution that says that was you know, remediating the airdrop uh, and the constitution states that that can never happen again. And a bunch of people are like, I would never sign off on a constitution. It can just be overruled or, or changed. Uh, and then a bunch of people are like, yeah, constitution is a great idea. So it, it's really yeah. funny like, to see the, the even a con- the concept of a constitution is polarizing. Right. Um, and part of the reason why it's polarizing is because um, I think one argument can be made that if you have a set of rules and for some reason those rules are broken, uh, one problem is uh, if the rules are broken somehow, either by vote or otherwise, there's no Supreme Court, there's no one to adjudicate the rules. And um, if you break them, then it just sort of like breaks the Constitution, you know, for good, because that means any of the rules can be broken. Uh, The other question is, like, if you have a set of rules, does that automatically place you in direct contravention with existing uh, real world rules as far as, um, you know, OFAC or some other, you know, rule set, right? This is why, like, ultimately, I think uh, there's another element here, and that is that, um, like, some of the best blockchains are going to end up having to be perhaps forks of interesting chains that we already have now, but with absolutely doxed, um, you know, like, primary team members and such. Um, Not sure exactly how that works, but the problem is, is that the moment you can find a human being right to to um to sort of shut off some some you know or or censor something then you are now like just opening the entire um investment thesis or the the users of that chain to getting wrecked by some sort of future event at some point and so yeah i can see why um sort of like nobody wants any rules but this is the thing, like, you, then you might as well not have governance at all, for one, like, because you could have a problem like this emerge regardless, I suppose. Uh, and if you're that purist about that, like, you don't want governance necessarily, well, then you should just simply buy Bitcoin and call it a day, right? Like, like why would you want uh, a chain at all that has any governance involved? Because there's always a possibility that, um, you know, the, the governance will co-opt whatever your vision is. So yeah, there's, it's a complicated problem, but I think um, people are not thinking of this from the perspective of scale. So it's one thing when your chain is worth like, you know, it's a small market cap crypto chain in the middle of a bear market when no one cares. But if you were to reach some scale, like, I don't know, a hundred billion dollars, for example, then all of a sudden everything matters, right? Because the attention from external authorities the like the attention from malicious attackers, the attention from people that are willing to do governance attacks, which um, I don't know if you were around Tara, um, but uh, one story was. there's uh, there's one story that was worth telling. I don't know if you remember the there was like a company or or hedge fund or s- somebody right. They um, wanted to make a change to Anchor Protocol, um, and they had some position in the anchor token or whatever 
And I can't remember what they did. They bought a bunch of anchor tokens. They could basically have sufficient governance power. And they were, I forget the exact details, but like they were creating proposals that were insane at the time. And the. So, so here's a, a perfect example of this, right? Uh, proposal 96 on Carver uh, mm, was for the uh for six million carver tokens uh to go to uh, it's for evm infrastructure funding proposal so uh oh, three million carver tokens sorry uh to be essentially paid to the kind of fmos chain uh you know to ensure that you know the evm uh, uh continues to be uh, developed etc because basically they're just using it uh, uh for free you know, they're not really providing any value back to the, EV, um, the EVM. Uh, so uh, they put up the proposal. Community validators overwhelmingly voted yes. Um, with, you know, 17 million uh, Carver tokens. Uh, and then all of a sudden, the Carver Foundation came in with 40 million Carver tokens uh, and voted no, uh, and therefore it failed. So uh, because the foundation has enough uh, token supply of who voted, uh, the proposal failed. So, like everyone else, for the most part, was uh, in favor of it, or those who decided to vote. Uh, you know, there was sixty-one. Uh, sorry, there was four validators who abstained, and you know, fifty-five who didn't even vote. Right, so a substantial amount didn't vote. Uh, but because there wasn't enough participation. The foundation's no vote one, even though uh, what was it? Uh, Thirty-eight validators voted yes, uh, three voted no, uh, and the rest didn't vote. Yeah, it's like it's not really clear. For example, right now, what Coinbase's stance is on its power in the Atom blockchain. For example, like let's say, let's say um, you know the Atom two point uh, or whatever form that takes is proposed right uh is coinbase going to sit that out is it going to ask coinbase users for like what they want and then vote that direction uh they didn't they haven't clarified that you notice that like so yeah well really- like even binance or mp3 we can't hear a word you're saying I was, I was about to say it sounds like you're talking in mp3 brother <laughs> You're you're breaking up, dude. <laughs> I think I don't think Coinbase has ever voted on, on any Coinbase, proposal. Binance Staking, uh, Kraken have never participated in governance. Uh, if they do choose to participate in governance, uh, it will heavily sway either way that they decide to vote because uh, but, they have a substantial amount of voting power, right? So, uh, what is it? Uh, Twelve, thirteen uh 17 18% of vote power just between those three custodial validators but see even if they weren't voting i don't know if like they sort of chimed in briefly on the adam 2.0 discussion and their concerns about treasury right or something remember so but, so it's almost like they're and, hinting that maybe they'd vote if push yeah. but they they certainly can vote right like they have a validator you can't uh, unless a proposal goes up beforehand to say that they can't vote, which would be unheard of. Um, my my point here is uh, Don put a video out about it and he made some very valid points around 
currently they're sitting on 20% yield guaranteed via this current method of which they provide about 5% back to their users through their you know, central exchange staking. So they're sitting on approximately 15 to 18%, you know, let's say 13 to 18% yield uh, for free for running a node, which costs at most a few thousand dollars a month, right? They're making millions of dollars a year doing nothing. Uh, any change that deviates from that is not in their favor. It adds additional risk or uh, elements of risk to a very stable uh, yield for them as a central exchange, uh, all three of them. So uh, unless you could provide some very uh, accurate numbers as to how that yield might increase or stay quite similar to what it is, I wouldn't see them being in favor of any change to that. Why, why would they be in favor of any change to that? Right. Yeah. 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 I, you know, I can see like, well, for the, for the Adam, uh, you know, Adam one versus, uh, Adam 2.0 idea. Uh, I can see where, yeah, the, the controversy as far as which way things should go is really, really clear. But like anytime you're talking about creating centralization through a treasury, anytime you're talking about creating, you know, you know, entirely brand new systems of, of governance. Anytime you're talking about sort of like anything that rocks the boat, I think you're always going to have like a group of people that want relative immutability and um, they, they, they don't want you to change the investment thesis too much um, in terms of like how they use their particular blockchain. You're going to have a lot of controversy in, in the governance section. Um, yeah, like like I think Jay's concept as well. You don't want to like change the original uh, chain. If you can make something better, you would just fork that, make that the new, you know, like the 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 new functions of the Atom 2.0 would just simply be a fork, or you would like create some sort of derivative environment with that photon idea that he had. Um, hey, hey, Seth, hey, Seth, real quick, did you get a chance to? Watch the CryptoCito video with uh, uh-huh. the with one with Sunny, yeah, Sunny, Zachy, and Jay. Yep. Yeah i i thought it was I thought it was really really good conversation. I thought it, it I thought it went as well as it could. Let's just put it that way. And um, I was really paying attention to Sunny in the beginning, and because. Um, uh, the first couple questions was was kind of um, between Zachy and Jay, and going back and forth with. I think uh, CryptoCita was trying to figure out, okay, what's the differences here? And I think the more and more they kind of broke it down, and it seems like Jay opened up a little bit about, um, you know, he's like the the whole issue. I think Jay has is like it doesn't make sense to to build the crazy treasury of fifty five million atoms without like having a plan first and so like after they boiled it down i mean correct me if i'm wrong it's like you know these these two different um theses or or two different plans aren't that far apart one just is doing it a different way like i think um and i think zaki even said that he's like yeah you know, the, the paper was just a draft and it's like we, we we we're modifying it in the forums right now and we're bringing and I think Zachy even agreed. It's like, you know, we can get the councils and everything ready and then and only do five million at them and then, you know, progressively build it out. So I thought it was a very healthy com- 
conversation for anyone who hasn't watched the video. It's a it's it's really funny to uh, kind of come. To, I've been sitting in the background a bit, not really uh, having too many open conversations or Twitter conversations about Adam Two Point uh, I posted on the forum uh, like a couple of days after it was released, and everyone started talking about it around my concerns, which were uh, the tail issuance uh, shouldn't go to the treasury; uh, it should go to stakers or the community pool. The initial issuance of the treasury was uh, in. in you know, in its current form was kind of far too much without having any of that, the councils and assembly and stuff established uh, and not very fond of such a large treasury being managed by just straight multi-sigs, uh, even if it was split into multiple wallets. Um, uh, and I posted that and had a conversation, you know, a bit of a conversation about it. And I got a lot of blowback and a lot of pushback from the white paper proposers about it. They were like, you know, I got called a conspiracy theorist uh, because of the criticisms that I had. And now, like, two or three weeks later, pretty much every single one of my points has been hit in the 2.0 revisions. Uh, and now proposers are like, hey, we should bring doubt out of 2.0. And I'm like, when I said it, I get backlash. But when they say it, oh, what a fantastic, crazy, amazing idea. Like, Well, there's, <laughs> there's all sorts of, you know, backlash from all sorts of people. It's not always the exact same, too. So it's like, it's easy to see the mass of, comments is kind of like who knows what but i i i think uh so the thing about uh if you have a large fund uh the plus side is it's a signal to the crypto universe that we have a shit ton of money and we want developers to show up here and not go elsewhere so it's the venture capital model essentially where basically you have money to throw around and you essentially are going to use it um, to your advantage. Um, so a wealthy chain, um, you know, that can attract tons of developers, um, you know, is this you know, kind of this idea that you're basically like a little uh, VC fund essentially, right? That's, that's what you're signaling in that situation. Yeah, um, which I think uh, proposers need to be super careful, right? So, right. Uh, ex example, like the Interchain Foundation as the entity, uh, I think has to be very careful about talking about it because essentially Adam becomes a security, right? Uh, as soon as you have that sort of money uh, and you're investing that money on behalf of other people uh, and you know spending that money as, as a VC, uh, I, I would be pretty cautious for sure if I was involved. Around, around yeah. the way in which you would think yeah, and, the, the and talk about the, it, right? The concern of securitization and like, you know, the legalities around it and everything. Yeah. Yeah. How to, how to package that into something that's not ultimately security. Um, yeah. I don't know what the right answer to that is. Yeah. No, no. It's just a point that, you know, uh, I think you know, I haven't seen the Interchain Foundation as a Twitter account post anything related to Adam 2.0 or 1.0 for that matter, like at all. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And, and I think part of that may be because I don't think they necessarily exist in the 2.0 model. Right. So the funds within the treasury are for investing in uh, bringing chains and developers uh, into ICS, uh, the development of uh, the product, the, the um, infrastructure and tech. So, you know, the allocator and the scheduler, et cetera. Uh, is all uh, funded by the treasury, uh, and uh, you know, and then we invest that money through the councils into you know 
DeFi, et cetera, uh, to provide yield back to the treasury, which stakers can then ask through the allocator. Yeah, I've, I'm still not uh, even fully clear, like, uh, how all the mechanics of these things sort of ultimately work. Um, or like, what is the role of kind of like, yeah, what is the role of any central organization on a, on a blockchain? Do DAOs actually really work? Uh, that's, a, that's another problem. Uh, it's not just simply like, what are the issues with um, legalities and securitization and things like that? It's just also do DAOs, um, uh, you know, are they going to function the way that we think they would? Like, let's say, for example, um, uh, let's say we have, I don't know, like $50 million and we're going to deploy it to some sort of uh, group of developers or some company or something to come in and do something, right? So the DAO decides to do this. Um, what happens if the company or whoever doesn't produce what they say they're going to produce? Okay, so who would be liable for that? Um, who would be liable for like the due diligence necessary to make sure that money is deployed properly such that um, like, or like what if the company doesn't get paid and now they want to take legal action because they're claiming that they did the job as stated and you're claiming that they didn't or whatever, right? Like some sort of civil suit type of thing. Uh, like who's actually going to go and represent the DAO in a court situation exactly? You see the problem? So you wind up with all sorts of layers of nonsense when you create like um, these centralized systems with human beings at the core. So I don't I don't know what the right answer to any of that is. Um, like, yeah, exactly. Separate, and you know you we're could, talking about at minimum like a five hundred million dollar fund that will be managed by governance, which will then be you know distributed into uh, these councils, uh, which is what we're going to call them. Uh, where they can then go and spend that money uh, in accordance with the proposal that funded them. Uh, and there's an expectation that the community will keep an eye on them and, and hold them account and then submit proposals to governance to remove certain councils or council members if they don't deliver on their promise or if you know we're not happy with the outcomes. Uh, I don't think governance and the tooling is up to speed for that, right? And five hundred million. It's not, it's not even just the tooling. Like, there's another thing too. It's like just because um, there are various people that might be pretty good at like coding, blockchain development. Uh, I don't know, playing around on Twitter or any any number of other qualifications. Um, it's not really clear who exactly has the qualifications to sit on these kinds of uh, committees and things uh, that are handing out something in the neighborhood of you know, 10 to $50 million. Um, do these people have any business sense? Do they even know what they're looking at? How do you know? Like, you know, I, I don't know. I just don't understand how the structure of the organization is going to actually function. Uh, yeah. And do we, you know, it's do not, we it's not even a question on the makeup yet. of every council? Like a, a Juno right. example, right? Exactly. Is, uh, I, I've been nominated for the, the Juno growth sub right? So, that went up on Commonwealth. You know, there was a discussion, some feedback, a round of review. Uh, the Terra Developer Fund, uh, you know, primary members kind of had a discussion and they formed up what the sub is going to look like. 
that goes to Commonwealth again for like another round of feedback and review. And then it goes on chain to vote on the sub-DAO in its entirety, right? Uh, what if uh, a particular individual isn't wanted by the most the majority of the community? Do you just vote that down and just say, hey, that individual we want out of the proposal? So we have to vote, vote down the entire thing. Uh, you know, that's that's the part. What do you vote in every single council member to make up the sub-DAO? Uh, and then you end up with, you know, the growth fund sub-DAO as an example. I think we'd have 11 proposals to vote in every single member. Like that just seems ridiculous to me. Um, so, yeah, uh, you know, these are the kind of things that we face when we start heading down this path. And I think it's the exact same thing for Adam 2.0, right? Like who makes up the councils? Who decides what members are in those councils? Uh, and then... Do we vote also, on the entire and also, what is the or, what is the benefit to the person in the council to be on the council, right? Like, is this yeah, a like pay, is this a paid, a paid role, position? Right? And and what is the makeup of that pay, right? So, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I'm on the Juno Growth Fund sub down. Haven't had discussions about whether there's any you know remuneration or, or compensation for efforts. I'm just doing it because I'm interested in you know the growth and the betterment of the Juno chain, uh, and I basically do it anyway. So might as well take it to like a semi formal capacity where you know, uh, we can be held accountable for the success of uh, the project we bring in and uh, have some due diligence from my perspective in that, uh, you know, so what, I, what I does, tell, the, yeah. you know, does the community vote on, you know, whether that sub DAO is, ends up being paid, yeah. uh, you know, what the makeup of that pay is, et cetera, et cetera, right? So. I kind of hear what you're saying, Seth. It, it gets to a point to where when the, chains and systems get so large and you're dealing with such large amounts of of funds and development like it gets to a point where you it has people have to be compensated for their time you can't expect to run a multi-million dollar blockchains with volunteers like it just right it doesn't work (laughs) it takes it takes a lot of time it's like if you want someone to uh spend 50 million dollars properly are you going to skimp on paying for like a proper you know, CFO or something that handles that little committee, like, you know, like, so there's a reason why, like, like, if you look at construction as a good example, um, you could go out there and build your own house. You could go and find all of your own subcontractors, right? You can find a plumber, you can find electricians and da da da, you, you each of them on your own, and you can be your own GC, like in many states, at least in the United States, you could actually do it fairly readily. You don't have you like you can get a um, like a little certificate that says, okay, I'm my own GC. You don't have to really know very much, actually. In many states, you just sort of get it. And you can call whoever the hell you want to build the house that you want, right? But the reason why you have a general contractor do it and you pay that person, and yeah, they take a profit as a quote unquote home builder, is because they have access to like they do this all the time, right? So they know which uh, plumbers are good, right? They know which electricians um, show up on the job on time and actually get the job done right. You know, like which roofers, are if there's a leak, right, like they're going to come and fix that shit, right? And they, they know how to get things done on a deadline and they know how to right. do so workarounds when, when stuff doesn't work out and all that stuff. There's yeah. a certain like, yeah. You're paying certain, for knowledge. You're paying for knowledge and Yeah, experience. knowledge, expertise, and experience and everything else. And typically, uh, the reason why CEOs of big corporations get paid big money is because that talent that can do those things, they can go do other shit, right? Like, do do you want, like, I don't know, a random Twitter troll uh, to run a $50 million account? 
Or do you want to pay someone a certain amount of money to make sure that this thing is executed properly, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, the thing is that like who, who makes up those kinds of committees? How do you, who go, who's actually doing the hiring and firing? Yeah. And, and it, ultimately like there's yeah. no clarity the, for any of that really. And the thing, and the thing with, with blockchain and where we are in um, cryptocurrency with specific chains it's like a lot of the big brains that do the uh the coding and the developers like they're they're, there are very few people that can do multifaceted things excellently you know and it's like you can have someone who's a really really good coder and has some business development skills or you can just have people that are just really good at understanding computer science and they don't have any marketing skills whatsoever you know, and right. so, and so that's why I just, you know, you look at some of these other chains like you know, uh, Polygon or or Solana and stuff like that. They're yeah, they're centralized, but they get things done fast, and they they spend money very fast because they have probably a group of like three or four or eight people sitting down at a table, and and they have a plan for the next twelve to you know thirty six months, you know. <laughs> Yeah, and, and so, like right now, even even for marketing, for example, even just take the simplest shit, like there's not a really good reason why people that say, for example, host, I don't know, anything from Twitter spaces to YouTube channels, whatever, like, you know, you have like a chain worth, you know, $4 billion and you can't figure out how to throw like a few pennies at um, like people that are constantly doing various activities that are, you know, in the community. Um, even if you wasted some of that money, who gives a fuck? Like what kind of like, you know, silliness is this? Like the reality is, is that like these are run like extraordinarily poor businesses, right? Like, like it's, it's just like completely silly, um, how poorly they're run as businesses in a sense. And as far as like how much money we're talking about and how little you'd spend on certain things. And you could easily just like, like cause, because it's an attention economy like right like if you don't actually have like a fleet of marketers right and you're not actually able to support those kinds of activities then that's the next four billion dollars that's not going to show up and then you're sort of like going in circles like i don't know I, yeah so i think i i 100 agree right so what we're what, the situation we're currently in now is we have some really good technology with some really good developers uh that haven't done anything else at this stage. So look across the entire Cosmos ecosystem. Uh, I don't think any of the chains necessarily marketed extraordinarily well. Uh, the current ones market very well. Uh, and the main reason for that is because there's no one that is in control of marketing uh, and there's not necessarily marketing budgets and uh Historically, the communities have been extremely tight-assed about how they spend community funds uh, because they you know, perceive the idea that the community pool is only there and as soon as the community pool is done, it's gone forever. I think with the introduction of something like Atom 2.0, uh, every chain should just look at a community pool as the current allocation of funding uh, and any time the community pool runs dry, we just mint a million tokens into the community pool to spend again. Uh, and as long as it's spent well, the return on investment should always be there. Uh, and things like DowDow and DowDow becoming uh, interchain, uh, I think will open that up a lot. So uh, I know that there will be like a marketing sub DAO on Juno. 
uh, in the near term. Uh, one part, the one part about to kind of one part about spending money though is um, I will point out like there is a high chance that there will be moments where you'll waste a lot of money, right? And that's normal. Um, so for example, like, like if you're in construction as a good example, you're like, uh, I'll give you a good example of a situation that occurred. I paid like a substantial amount of money to a like architecture firm to produce a set of, you know, plans and information. They produced this thing and they didn't really like do so with sufficient like discussion and feedback and didn't like you know keep track of how much the final you know the budget of the project was really going to be worth they just sort of like you know kind of winging it a little bit um and what ended up happening was is like we weren't able to use those plans because like it you know you had to create the plan to find out whether it's in budget or not and if it's not in budget that plan has to get scrapped you have to start over and you we had to waste a chunk of money to do that right there is a certain amount of normal waste that's going to go into like making throwing things at a wall and making it stick it doesn't mean the project is useless or you shouldn't finish it but those kinds of things when they're done in a community setting like the community uh it's impossible to teach the community like all of the quote-unquote community that comes and goes and votes randomly and shows up to different meetings it's going to be impossible to instruct like why certain funds uh got wasted so what will end up happening is is everyone thinks they're like an internet superhero everyone knows how to run a business or whatever the fuck like and, and every single little bad thing that will happen will come down as like some sort of like emotional uh event for everybody oh look we gave this you know committee this money to spend and they did blah 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 with it and it didn't go well so and then the members of the committee are also going to be in a position where it's like um it's like one of those no good deed or whatever is a no, no no deed goes unpunished kind of thing where any mistakes that you make like the community will immediately eviscerate you no matter how much time and how much effort you spent to to do this sort of thing right this is why like when you have a small group of people like if i get like let's say 10 million dollars to build a um commercial building or something or whatever, like the people that are investing in that sort of understand that there's amount of like leeway that people need to get the job done. It will never be like perfectly um, on the exact budget you think it's going to be. There's got to be a contingency budget. Um, you know, in construction, for example, a contingency budget might be like 30% more than the actual cost of what you're constructing because you never know what's going to happen, right? So uh, these kinds of things are really, really foreign to people that have never actually run a business or created any kind of major project. And I think um, that's where, like, it, I don't know, there, there's no good, like, communication tool um, to handle all this. And in a corporation, you know, you have, like, quarterly statements, and you have board meetings, you're investing in a stock, you're hoping that the board is looking after the the benefits of the shareholders or whatever, you're hoping that the like management team is credible and knows what they're doing. And, um, you know, so there's a reason why like there's a securities and exchange commission <laughs> like to deal with securities and there's like an entire yeah. structure of corporate, um, everything. Yeah. Even in the corporate world, you have extreme incompetence and people still get paid million dollar salaries. Of course. For, yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it, yeah, it's, because, it, because you're never going to be able to like, you're only going to be able to judge competence fully after the fact. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's a trust element there where um, this is why Bitcoin is trustless and everything else that involves governance or human beings requires some different layers of trust. And um, 
you know, I, it's not really clear to me that a lot of the so-called blockchain communities um, are necessarily like sort of mature enough to understand any of that. To any well, I kind of like the, the idea of the, sorry to interrupt, the, the Terra Developer Fund on Juno uh, is a great example, right? So, uh, you know, there was a quite, amount, quite a large amount of um, concern around the, the funding for Loop as an example, uh, but they're paid in milestones, right? Uh, so they've received, I don't know, 600,000 to date or something like that of the 1.2 or $1.5 million they were uh, set to be allocated. Uh, the community has concerns around what's being delivered to date and the quality of that work. Uh, so they're currently in, I, I believe, they're currently in like a review uh, stage of their next round of funding. So uh, I think as, so long as we put the checks in place uh, and give the community uh, ways in which they can, uh, you know, raise those concerns uh, and potentially halt that funding uh, and, you know, fund them in tranches, uh, then, you know, you can you can kind of catch those things before it gets too far, right? They've obviously been paid, you know, one or two or three quarters or something uh, of their funding, but there's still, you know, over half of it to be paid from what I understand. Uh, if we're not happy with the results, we can kind of step in and go, hey, like, here's where we're at. Uh, what is your plan to remediate these things, these concerns? Uh, if we don't see it by X date, like, that's it, the funding's cut. So, uh, and they're paid via DAO. So, um, you know, the multi-sig of the Terra Developer Fund will go in, you know, submit the proposal to fund them. Uh, they all approve it. The money goes into their wallet. Uh, if that proposal doesn't get submitted, then they don't get paid. So, uh, you know, I, I kind of like the element of how the Terra Developer Fund uh, happens at the moment, where the community has visibility of the funding, uh, which member in particular votes for and against, yeah. and how much they're funded, and, and give us the checks to a similar a similar thing happens in like commercial real estate as an example. Um, typically, um, upon completion of portions of a project, uh, like you know, a, a subcontractor would be paid um, along the way, right? Like they'll get paid for materials and things. They'll get paid for certain amounts of labor. And they're submitting uh, invoices for the work being done as it gets done with uh, items lined up as far as like what they're actually getting paid for, right? Like, I don't even know if we have like a system where people like for that example, if they're turning in, okay, this is what we're doing for this amount of money. And like, these are the things, these three things we've done so far. So this part of the money you deliver it as a, you know, the deliverables, so to speak. Yeah, all of that process is something that requires a lot of work, actually. So whoever's on that committee has to do a shit ton of work figuring out if they're using the community funds properly, right? It's not, it's not an inconsequential amount of work. It's not like, well, and it's actual work. It's not like, oh, I'm just like, you know, like doing this as a hobby. And, you know, it's like building models or something, you know, or like, or like doing a painting. This is, this is like actual work that many people who volunteer for these kind of things that are actually good enough to do them actually have real world jobs and real world work. Cause they, they obviously have, they, they have to, you know, like if they're credible enough to do this type of work, either they're retired from something and they're sitting around, they have nothing better to do, or they're doing this on their spare time and they're really high quality people. But like, you know, it's real work and um, you're going to wind up having people that are really, you know, pissed off to do this work if, you know, they did their best and the outcome is still poor and community funds, you know, end up getting wasted or whatever. 
uh, like, I don't know. It's a, uh, it's a thankless job in a sense. Like, right. Like no one's going to know you did it except a few people. And if it goes well, like, you know, you know, you're not going to get either paid or recognition or anything else. Uh, it's not going to go on your resume as something important you did for some other job. Um, it's just simply going to be a purely volunteer thing, almost like a homeowner's association would be. You do it just because you're in that community and you, you hope for the best. But um, I don't know that that's necessarily the best way to find the absolute best talent uh, to do these kinds of things. So that, that's the warning there. Um, you know, I don't know. So a lot to think about, but um, how do you attract the right talent to all these different things? I'm not sure, right? And then you create these structures. And then the other problem you wind up having is, like uh, we talked about before, like what kind of legal ramifications, what kind of legal risk are people putting themselves in as they enter these things? So, yeah. So, hey, just quick thought, just throw this out there. Um, back on the Binance News listing, Osmosis. Um, I, oh, before, I, before we jump on, I think yeah. Mike, 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 Mike uh, had maybe a comment about this. Yeah, come, go ahead, Mike. Yeah, thanks. Appreciate it. It's a very, very interesting topic, and I appreciate the um, analysis because, you know, I think that the – from coming sort of from the outside, right, we've been kind of since December in Cosmos building our solution. And what I mean by that is that I run an e-commerce development company for like the you know, last 20 years, and we've got like huge e-commerce sites. So we've gone off and built a whole project on the Web2 side to integrate rewards and e-commerce into Web3. And we already built this in WAX and EOS and built their own chain and everything over there. But Cosmos is so much better because of the sovereign nature and IBC. But coming from like WAX and EOS into this space, it's very challenging to kind of know where to go and where to start because it's even though it's decentralized and even though it's kind of in these sovereign chains, there's very much a um, invisible for people who aren't on the inside. Uh, I don't know if it's control or, or people who are somehow um, have the ability to make things happen versus people who are trying to figure out how to do things traditional way, like running a software company. So, you know, I've put it's my own money that I've been paying out of my company, right? And we've had it where I've got developers I've paid to build Cosm Wasm, right? Uh, developers in Cosmos. And they've basically rugged me, you know, for thousands of dollars and never delivered. And they kept the project in limbo for two, three months because they promised and we're going to keep showing me stuff, but never came through. So I think to the point from um, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing your, your handle correctly or not, but Steffi, Steffi, you made a yeah, really good yeah. point that when you're doing this in the real life, like I run software development and I deliver stuff sometimes my customers don't want, or or I, I pay a developer, but I can't see what they're doing. They'll push to get like when they're three quarters of the way done or all the way done, and they may never push. Same with the construction, same with all that stuff. And as the point is like, it's just business. Like you just... You, you have to move on. Like you, so we decided to, we couldn't do Cosmos Awesome, so we built it native into our, you know, Cosmos SDK, you know, Ignite Tendermint uh, core. And we built the solution around it, right? You always pivot. You always keep going. You don't stop. You don't quit. But then you get your, where you throw your hands up in there and you're just like, well, like, who do you go to to drive something all the way through when you have a solution? So I hear like marketing DAO and some other type of, DAOs like that, which is fascinating because that's kind of the piece we're trying to do. But the marketing is weird because 
we thought that probably marketing to like e-commerce sites and getting going to ad week shows and being on stage there and talking to CMOs, but we're finding the marketing problem is going to be not on the e-commerce side. It's going to be on the Web3 side, trying to get um, people to understand what the project is. And I think what it kind of feels like is that if you're not doing liquid staking, if you're not doing some type of thing that's core to Web3, that there isn't really a place. And I could be wrong, and we may have to build our own chain and just kind of do our own thing, kind of separate, kind of like CRO or like BNB or one of them. But I think that's kind of... Uh, um, Mike, where are, you, where are you guys building now? So we have our own sovereign chain. It's been on testnet for like four months and uh, we have it all with the, the solutions all there. It's called loyal. It's loyal rewards. And basically it's, it's, it's removed the barrier between web two and web three. So it's a reward system that is completely on chain. So you can, so people are going to be getting reward points on e-commerce sites and then it's universal. So any, any e-commerce that they go to, and it's totally on chain, but they don't even know that because they're just re- interacting with points. And then they can convert that to any project. They can go to Atom, they can go to Osmo, they can go wherever if they choose to, or the site can do it. So it's built. So we have large e-commerce, like we've got the Newsweek food side of the year. They have 441,000 uh, orders last year, and they run on our bare metal, our hardware, everything. So we're going to onboard millions of people into, uh, you have wallets and be potentially into Web3. Um, and it's all built. So we thought we have it all built. It's ready to go. We bring it over and there'd be a, there'd be a place to bring it, right? There'd be a, a way to onboard it. And so there's a lot of infrastructure that seems like it's not there, or maybe you just don't know the right people, but any guidance or suggestions or recommendations would be just so, very helpful. So you're trying, you're trying to get who to interface with their project and how, like, is it via a wallet? Is it via like someone just is it shopping point rewards? Like if if let's just say I go online and I spend because there's several of these rewards programs like on Polygon and Ethereum that I've seen. This is just like shopping in in rewards for uh, like the one or two percent. Yeah, so three, four, five percent, whatever it happens to be. And they're on other two. We built one on Wax, right? We've already deployed it. It's up and running. And uh, we decided to do universal and do it on our own sovereign chain. So, uh, yeah, so that's basically what you do. You, you basically buy and, and purchase things and then you earn points. But, but the pain point for you right now is like what precisely? The acquisition of users within the cosmos or like what? Well, we're kind of different because we don't necessarily have to have a lot of users in Cosmos side. That's why I think we're running into a little bit of communication problem because we're going to be bringing on like hundreds of thousands of of wallets and users. We'd like to have good balance, but really it's getting the, I guess, validators and the interest and kind of people sort of like trying to see value or maybe tell us that it's not valuable, but just to kind of get there and... I don't know. It seems like if we had some other type of um, Web three technology, not like a Web two. Um, oh, branch, okay. That, so that to be easy, you're having issues like maybe building out um, like a sufficiently uh, interested validator network. Then? Yeah, in a way, yeah, to get people interested at the validator level, and then of course after that, it'll be kind of in the IBC, and then the 
you know, the whole part of it. So it's just, I'm just, this is not really, I'm not complaining by any means. Or yeah. we're happy. I'm just, I'm just trying to understand, like, if right. there's a marketing DAO, if there's a, if there's people who kind of already kind of have been down this path and have like abilities and help, then, then that'd be something to be interesting. I'm just curious what other teams have experienced or other groups or other projects, because, you know, for six months I've been kind of digging into all the different forums and all the different groups and kind of being involved. But there's still that gap for me. And look, I'm a developer. I come from development. I I'm not a marketing, so I don't really know. Like maybe there's something obvious that I'm missing that's just not there, or maybe the yeah, project I, isn't I worth think, anything. I think we're trying to just figure out like what your, you know, target you're trying to achieve is like if you're trying to get validators um, as maybe one uh, issue. Uh, one is, did you have you guys considered? Um, like going the route of instead of spinning up a fully sovereign chain, I don't know if it's going to be January, but the um, interchain security will allow like a, a child chain to be created or, or, or a consumer chain to be built off of the um, atom chain. And then you just use those validators until like you get critical mass where it's worth bothering to like go to a full, like brand new chain. Does that, have you looked into that at all? Yeah, I've gone down that path a little bit. Um, I we were hoping to be on before the holidays, you know, so because we've got a lot of oh, yeah. customers. We got e-commerce sites that are gonna yeah, it's e-commerce. that are anxious. So we have everything. We've been running the, the chain for quite a while. We hope we thought we saw what happened to Quicksilver, and they had thirty five hundred validators come on, and then they get like you know a bunch of people following them on Twitter and everything. And we're like, well, this will be easy. So we'll get all of the solution working in Web two. We're ready to go to before the holidays. And then we come over and we're like, okay, well, we, we don't have 3,500 validators. You know, we, we don't really have. So, um, yeah, so I'm still working through it. Like, yeah, uh, so I'll figure it out. But so I think the thing is like the financial incentive models. So one is if you have um, a chain and it's there's a token for that chain, let's mm-hmm. say, let's call yours like, um, I don't know, um, rewards chain or something right right. the loyal chain um so you so what needs to happen is like okay so what is the incentive number one for um a let's call them investor for lack of a better term uh to basically buy the token so that that buoys the price of the token so that when the validator network gets this token they can believe that the token's value ought to probably go up over time. Because as you know, like many of these are like inflationary token models and they rely upon sort of like future users. And and initially there's high inflation usually to incentivize people to jump on. And then, um, you know, then the validators feel like, okay, look, we have a system that we feel like we're going to get paid in. um, And therefore it's worth building out um, hardware to, you know, validate for this thing. Um, and you kind of, it kind of goes from there, right? And then, so I think the question ultimately of why a validator would or wouldn't be interested, I think would seem to me, if I was a validator, like if I did this um, over the course of a several year time frame, uh, A, would the, the, any kind of costs of running a validator uh, work out? And B, like if I'm getting paid in this token, um, it, is there a tokenomics model that makes sense? And I think those are the things. And if you go to like a Quicksilver or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the the sense is is like people tend to go to those kinds of chains, but they also tend to buy the coin of that chain because they're mm-hmm. participating in that 
they're participating in that uh, like chains function, like Quicksilver, for example, would be you know like this liquid staking thing, or a Kojira, which is a liquidation based chain. Many people will tend to buy the coin of that chain as part of their like thesis of investing in it or using it. Um, is yours one where like a person would like an individual from the cosmos would go, hey, you know what? I want to invest in Loyal. I want to buy their token, right? Like, is that? Yeah, I didn't mean to take over the conversation, but I really appreciate the question. It's really, really nice because but, we. But do you know have, what I mean, right? Like, yeah. It, well, the model is the model is that like any of these projects, after you get to year three your inflation's kind of gone or it's going away quickly, right? So then the next one that comes along is going to be more attractive on the, if you're only going off inflation. So, right. so we do have an inflationary token and it's that limit. We expect that by year two, it'll start shifting and by year three, we'll be off of that inflation where we won't really worry about it because we're really doing transactions. So the first part of the project for the first couple of years is all about adoption on the e-commerce side and getting sites and getting transactions, there's transaction fees, and those transaction fees then get spread around. So the more sites added to the Web2 side, the more transactions that happen, because every time a reward is earned or, or redeemed, there's transaction fees. So as we get you know, thousands of sites, then it ends up being that these transaction fees become worth more than any inflation that there would be potentially, right? Sure. And so that's the, yeah. that's the model. I, the the model is kind of not a cliff. It's a it's a gradual transition from high inflation to go to the market and add week and other places where you go out there and you talk to CMOs. Sure. And then that ends up becoming its own uh, revenue stream. Yeah. Okay. Great. That, that that's kind of my main was my main thing is like yeah the revenue comes from where like why would it be attractive for validators why would it be attractive for like the token holder yeah um, I think those are the key things and. Um, I think in DeFi, a lot of people go into the Web3 space right now to like play in DeFi and, you know, trade. And, like trading is the number one like oh <laughs> use case of DeFi, oddly. Like a lot of real world connectivity, like what you're, you guys are doing is what everyone says they want. But when those things arrive, it's not really clear cut like that, you know, you know, people know what kind of time horizon they're dealing with and, and what they're doing, right? There, there is a kind of like, a capital flow that tends to go to things that people think is going to make the money right now, kind of a thing. Um, yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense actually, because I think that that describes it all. People are coming into DeFi, especially now with the market, looking for the DeFi um, options, and then you talk about the real world kind of bridging of Web two, Web three, and maybe the maybe the Silicon Valley investors. We do have some of those investors that we haven't taken any money from yet. Um, but we do have those guys from more Web two who are very interested, right? As they look at different, they look differently at Web three. They look at it as maybe a future opportunity versus a right now opportunity. So that's, yeah, that's, that's like, fascinating. That's really that's really because the Web three ethos, in a nutshell, is where like me and Arma and May are here. We all kind of like go and get you know we have access to the loyal token. And in fact, like everybody in the world has access to that token because it's not stuck on a stock exchange or something like that for a specific country. And then, you know, it's like a, the idea that, that when you connect it to real world things, though, it becomes like a quasi security, right? Or, or, or it's a securitized there are thing. Risks. There are risks. There, there, it, it, well, it's, it's basically a quasi security in the long, like, you know, the long arc of it. And what a person's looking for is wait, okay, so there's revenue from some sort of, you know, uh, you know, you know, web two business. And, you know, there's this expectation that some of that revenue is going to flow into 
the value of the coin or, or and then the validators are going to worry about the same thing and i think if people get the sense that like okay they're part of this business and there's a good token economic model then you'll see people show up i think okay. that, that's the thing you know what i mean like yeah. so uh, that's the key is like to web3 is you're essentially it, it's no different than looking for stockholders if you're in a traditional a company but the difference is is it's done like globally and all over the world and um you know like uh, i i think there's yeah fundamentally no real difference compared to a shareholder stock right and that's i think the trick is can because ultimately you're sort of using it as a like i mean you know you don't really say this out loud but you're sort of using it as a like a, a bootstrapping or funding source in a sense where like you know early investors technically get benefit because like you know the value of the coin goes up over time there's no doubt that the value doesn't come from web 3 directly it comes from the adoption of web 2 there's no doubt about that which is which is important because like one of the flaws one of the biggest flaws of web 3 nonsense right now is it's a big circle jerk of money going in circles it's it's the same tvl yeah it's the the same same TVL. tvl And we exactly. see the proposals and we look at them and go, these are just taking from one group and giving to another group. They're going right. to take it back. Yeah. Right. And this is, this is really a cool model because like we've already done, we got huge e-commerce sites and they're excited about it. Um, but I can't pre look, I've got a lot of revenue, like real revenue coming from those guys like USD cash. I paid for all this in USD. I cannot jeopardize that. I cannot the, sort of put them on some crazy just, chain. Just quickly, if I might, Mike. Um, so is the challenge that you're having uh, getting the the block the the Cosmos blockchain built uh, and finding you know good devs that you can rely on and trust, uh, and then building out the validator set? We have the devs, we have the code, we have the chain that we've done probably ten different iterations to. We've got the final chain that we believe done. Um, we've pivoted a lot, so it's really just getting the validators and then having them verify. And we think, look, you never know. We think we're done. Like we believe we've tested enough and done enough analysis that, you know, we'll be able to go to market pretty quickly. So, um, and it all works. It works on the e-commerce side. That we. So it's been like a what a nine month. If you count the stuff we done wax, like a year plus of development work. That we thought we'd go to the easy part, and we saw thirty five hundred going to Quicksilver. It's so like, oh, let's get some validators. They'll come on. They'll be good. They'll test it. It'll work. And then we'll just go live and we'll start bringing on sites before the holidays. <laughs> yeah, so we're kind of stuck right there where we thought would be the easy part. It's been like a challenge to get the validators to come aboard. Now it makes a lot of sense, though. I totally get it. Like people are looking at it as a as kind of a, a different than normal. And also, they might be looking at it from, you know, the, you know different laws and different uh, regulations and different do they want right, to take risks. There, yeah. There's so many angles to it, too. It's like there's uh, things like, well what does web three specifically bring to this right because you guys have a revenue stream of some kind yeah Um, what are the reasons why you would sort of like uh share that revenue to some kind of web three communities that's going to buy this token so the token holder the first questions are going to ask is obviously just like any investor in anything is like what is my theoretical upside here and what kind of like dividend do I receive from the so-called revenue that's going to happen? These are all the sort of like common questions. Yeah. I think if, if there's a cohesive story there and um, it, it's, it's a story of like, you know, maybe this is a great way to scale into a much bigger thing using like, you know, global um, global liquidity resources and stuff, then, you know, there, it might work. And then you have to just like say, well, also the tokenomics models are really, really important because um, you know, a lot of like, 
really savvy DeFi investors or just Web3 people are going to ask some pretty hard questions before they throw in like a million or $10 million into something, right? Like, oh, so sure. if you want the big money as opposed to like little pocket change, and people are going to be like, well, okay, well, like what's in this for me and all the usual questions and due diligence involved and that yeah. gets to be, um, so I, I think, yeah, it really depends on who your target is and, and all of that. No, I think that's fair. I appreciate that. Again, I don't want to take over the call. I just found it fascinating, the conversation and seeing some of the parallels there. I really appreciated the insight you guys are giving from like the real world and the business side. So, you know, I think it's still a really good model. This cannot really be done the way it's currently tried because it's either a single site solution. So the reason why you need Web3 is because you need to, for a universal rewards program, right? So you can go across many different sites. It's not just one site. It's not just one, it's not just one um, narrow sliver. It's just universal. So in order to cross that chasm and be able to make it, you have to be able to have something that has uh, a universal appeal, not just a single um you know, lane, so to speak. We did the single lane in Wax. We did the reptiles and we did the whole NFTs and did all that. And that's still working and running, but it's very narrow, right? It's a very closed in group. So in order to really, we thought in order to do this, you got to go Sovereign Chain and go IBC because you got to bring in Atom tokens and Juno token. You got to bring in like more than just that narrow lane. You got to open it up as like a path for many different type of DeFi projects to be involved in early tokens, right? So it kind of becomes just a path and gateway for a more liquid type of a DeFi at Web2 level. So, yeah, I got a lot to think about after after kind of just taking this all in. So, um, yeah, I don't a lot want of to answer off the like, Yeah, we, we play a lot in all sorts of DeFi things. So it's like, um, you know, like how to attract, you know, attention for a chain and maybe like how to create uh, like how do you put liquid staked assets of your thing somewhere yeah. how, do, how do you make that attractive to people to play with all of those kind of interesting things do you actually you know create maybe a DeFi application that sits on your chain just to sort of attract the attention and just sort of like you know uh, people that kind of come and play yeah. um, you know these are all things because those can be sometimes relatively inexpensive projects to create you know so it just depends um yeah anyway i appreciate it like i look i really really appreciate it it's, it's a you've opened up my eyes to a lot of things that i'm just totally overlooking you know i've gone deep in the weeds coming from like a code perspective looking at all the making sure all the the checkboxes are there making sure everything's ready and i'm overlooking some of the most obvious things which is the inflow part of it you know the 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 the, the top of it like i'm i'm too deep into it so You've definitely given me a lot of to think about. I'm going to zoom out a little bit, um, you know, put my old executive hat back on from when I was doing this stuff back in the day and building this stuff, you know, in Web 2 and uh, trying to rethink it. So thank you so much. Really appreciate your help. Yeah, cool. Yeah, sometimes you can get on this, like you can maybe create a space or something and like invite some people that maybe know something about like tokenomics and a few other things. And you can kind yeah. of like hash out some ideas and like, if you have like a vision of what specific goals you're trying to achieve, then it's like, okay, well, like some people can tell you if those goals are misplaced or like they're likely to work or whatever. Um, and even like, you know, dig into tokenomics or like what kind of things might Rama and I like to play with if we were on DeFi or if we're on, we want something out of this rewards chain. Cause I think the rewards thing is actually a very useful thing. I think one of the problems right now in DeFi is, okay, so you can move your 
atom tokens to some sort of like debit card or something, you could spend those reward points on certain things. But the problem is, is that like to compete with the credit card rewards point systems and everything, um, you know, you're, you're taking a hit a little bit when you, when you use those systems, like Bidali, for example, has a debit card rewards type thing uh, so there's different systems out there and like you may actually find that like there's a bunch of cosmos users that actually want to use your actual reward system and like the people in the cosmos might end up being kind of a like a gateway to like you know a new customer base in theory um, depending Correct. on what you're trying to accomplish too. So. Well, one thing is that a lot of people are being paid by tokens and I keep seeing that you know tokens are moving around a lot to pay people and I'm not trying to get around taxes and, and declaring. I, you know, I, obviously I pay USD and declare, but it sure makes it easy if you can just use that on a, if you got to go buy a pair of shoes or buy whatever. Like now, yeah. I haven't. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm. I'm come from Web to e-commerce, so I am not qualified to start saying whether or not that could work or be anything. I just see it as maybe something, but I've been focused on the other half of this on the web. I think so. Some people have worked on those things. There was a project, particularly Cado Money, that was working on it for Terra before the UST fiasco. Um, So, like, there are good examples of, like, where people tried to attach sort of, like, even drop shipping, e-commerce type ideas and other things to, like, uh, make people's crypto spendable. Uh, so that like, let's say, for example, like, I don't know, like, let's say I mm, delegate or, or stake Atom tokens on your platform or something like that. And the yield from that can then be used to sort of or, uh, you know, like yield directed to buy um, certain things with your e-commerce uh, platforms, things of that nature um, is pretty yeah. cool. Yeah, I have to be a little bit careful because obviously, I, uh, you know, my main revenue streams web to e-commerce right now that. Yeah, that's kind of the thing. So I have to be careful I don't expose those my customers to great risks either. So it's definitely a deeper conversation. I've, my eyes have been opened a lot. I need to really like get some expertise in here and think about yeah. it from, from the I need Web3, equivalent of what I know from Web2 e-commerce, I need the Web3 experts to basically go through it and see what, there's, there's no doubt what we've built is super flexible. We've built a stable coin. We've built all that stuff into it because the reward point maps to, Hundred reward points equals a dollar. That's fully that's fully protected. You can't get to it, and it's backed because the site will take it for a dollar, right? Or take you know, so it's backed by site redeeming it. So we got all these pieces and components. We have payment method. We have reward points. We have everything all built. It all works, but we need to skin it back and make sure that we don't give too much exposure to Web two. And sounds them, sounds like you build a lot more stuff than most people have built, so that's pretty good. <laughs> well, see, cool. we, the one difference about us is since we're custom e-commerce and we're on these huge sites, we can build directly on the checkout pages. We aren't just an affiliate sitting in a, in a Chrome browser extension. So yeah, we went into the deep. Cool. So we wrote it into the checkout, and we have WooCommerce and WordPress. We have Magento. We have all these plugins uh, almost ready to go. So we did all that, and then we thought, okay, now the easy part, put the bow on it by going to get some validators and then going in and building, you know, tokenomics came from Chango a little bit, you know, from Interchain, and she helped us early on and kind of got that oh, going. Oh, cool. And yeah, so, she'll know a few things. Yeah, she liked the BNB burn model just to kind of not try to control the price at the market level, but just to kind of make sure that if something got, if it got too, if it got too crazy with millions of transactions and everything, that there'd be some mechanism to try and... Um, try to be careful with it. But again, the guy I paid to build the tokenomics model, he kind of charged a lot of money and he 
he didn't complete it all either, so we got half baked. So, look, I, I don't want to take the call. I really appreciate you guys. Oh no, we're really just do. we're just I totally just, shooting the shit here, by the way. Uh, well, then, yeah, no, but sure. it didn't this sound like to me. <laughs> I, I've heard I some calls. Yeah, I appreciate yeah. you jumping in, Mike, because I think uh, you know, kind of back to what the, the broader cosmos kind of conversations is uh, one of the the challenges that we have is enabling people like you to get in contact with people uh, who can aid you in, you know, building out your app chain uh, and delivering the product that you want to deliver. So having you kind of come in here and ask questions and uh, get information that can take you to the next step uh, is good for you, but it also kind of opens uh, opens my eyes to kind of the, the challenges that we have in uh, educating people from kind of coming from your, your typical web two biz and engaging in Web3, particularly in Cosmos, is, you know, it's probably pretty easy to do that within like Polygon or Solana or something, right? Yeah. Like you can just like find a team, they've got like good marketing, they've got good people you can communicate with and you can just go contact them uh, and then build. Uh, in Cosmos, there's not really a person that you can do that with. And, you know, you put a lot of trust in developers to deliver and provide outcomes. And as you said, you've kind of already been rugged to it. You know, to an extent like kind of some cosmos oh yeah devs. definitely yeah um and it's and it's you know one of the challenges is like how do we uh how do we bridge that gap in uh having uh channels and avenues that people like yourself can go and com communicate to uh devs or marketers to an extent that can you know give you some resources and educate you in a certain way that can uh take you to the next step you know put you in contact with uh you know, validators who can come in and, and form part of your Genesis validator set. Uh, and a lot of those things are kind of, you know, telegram groups and discords and, you know, still very old school uh, in that manner. And the only way you find those people is like getting involved in Cosmos Twitter and following accounts and getting in contact with those people, uh, you know, or chatting to people like, you know, Sefi and I, who uh, are generally engaged uh, across a number of uh, validators and, and developer teams. So, uh, it's a big bridge and I uh, appreciate you coming on and asking the questions because it, you know, it's a massive area that we need to work on as an ecosystem if we really want to, you know, scale out to having you know, a thousand app chains or a thousand ICS chains. Yeah, I think that, I mean, my background real quick is I, I was at UUNet back in, I was like early in UUNet and I built out the sales engineering team, probably the first SE team in, in internet. And I've been in web one and built that. And then I was VP of the largest MSP out there running huge networks. And then I, brought, I bought three companies that now make up my e-commerce hosting business, Bare Metal Hosting. So like I've done this from the executive levels and from like all that through uh, throughout the years. So I definitely am willing to help and roll up my sleeves. I love I love the openness. I've been in the discords very heavily. I've been involved in all this. It's just, I think the, I think Seth will hit it is, or Seth will hit it that, the piece is missing is maybe the unknown because it's so different. Maybe the people can can put hook handles on that it needs to, it needs to be filled in better. Not from the the solution simple and how it works is is simple. Uh, we spend a lot of code to make it easy, right? That if you get easy code or easy things to use, it's because you spent a lot of time on on the code. But the, the the problem and the gap is clear now to me, and I really appreciate that because I've got really good value. I mean, I, I work closely with Blockchain and Todd. I work closely with, like, they've helped me with all of my crazy configuration I did for security. And they, I've gotten a lot of help and amazing people. But you, You're in fantastic hands with uh, Blockchain well, and Todd, by I the way. I, he's, he's an incredible person. 
Well, I mean, you know, I've got every, like all the green, you know, your neighbor there, you know, and all these guys are all awesome and game of notes, all these guys. The problem is that I didn't know what was holding people back. They've joined the Discord, they've come in. I didn't know what was holding them back. And now I've got some ideas is that they probably have more questions and maybe these aren't asking me and I just and, need to, or I haven't thought and, about them yet. And yeah. Mike, we have like, we, we have between um, many of us, we probably know like people that run at least maybe a dozen validators, uh, things like that. So, you know, there's, there's like ways to sort of get started and gin up some interest. Nahler here, who's sitting here, like right here in the speaker set, like I just delegated with him. Like he just started a new um, uh, validator on uh, Kuchira, for example. Um, like, uh, you know, we, we, you know, many of these guys have like validators or are doing so on some community scale because your project may not require mega size validators necessarily just no. a lot of them. So uh, like, you know, there's plenty of room and people that like know what they're doing and might be interested if they know that there's like a credible team in the background. Cause a lot of, a lot of smaller validators, especially are looking for somewhere to like um, where they could be, I guess, like a part of the solution yeah. and, you know, make a buck doing it and everything else. And, uh, yeah. So, uh, like hooking up with people that actually know what they're doing, um, is something that I think probably most validators would be interested in if, uh, if they understood the project well. Yeah. And I, and I'll, I'll do better. I'll do better spending time kind of making that now that I know where these gray areas probably are and why people are interested, but they don't really come all the way through and connect as a validator. And uh, now I think I understand a lot better. So I will, what I need to do, I think, is take a step back, work with more business people in Web3. Sounds like you guys are, I don't know if it's you or whatever, who can help define like how to make this make sense in the economics of Web3. Because I I know how it makes sense in economics Web2, not necessarily Web3. So maybe I'll reach out and just well, one, one way to, yeah. One way to look at it, too, would be to just simply ask um, – like ask some people that run some larger validators, like, I don't know, like um, Jack Zamplin or something. Um, and basically say, like, if you're a validator, what do you, what would you want from me? Like, what, like, uh, what do you expect? How much money do you expect to be making? Like, what kind of uh, traffic do you expect? You know, all those kinds of nuances and just like, this is what we need from a validator. It's almost like a little mini validator white sheet or something like, like a you profile. Just, build a profile. Yeah, like, well, I think, yeah. yeah. I think even like today's conversation, Mike, if you were to host uh, some spaces, like schedule it in, you know, let, let a bunch of people know and, and host the spaces from Loyal's Twitter account uh, and start engaging and, and tweeting out like what the blockchain is and what the, um, how it ties into web two and what your plans are and uh, start engaging, you know, the active cosmos community. Uh, I think you, you drum up a lot of interest, um, you know, having uh, discord calls, you know, schedule some time in with the validators that you've currently got uh, and ho host conversations like this and be like, hey, this is this is the plan for the blockchain. And uh, here's the businesses that are legit, that are real, uh, that we've engaged with and the websites and, uh, you know, start uh, drumming it up that way. Um, I, I genuinely think you'd get a lot of engagement and a lot of interest. You've, you've done the hard work, right? You've, you've got the websites <laughs> there, you've got the blockchain. Uh, now it's just a matter of kind of, Taking that step back, the, the yeah. Mo most of, uh, most of I, the people in most of the people in blockchain for the next three years are sitting there trying to figure out: wait, where is the new users coming from? Where is the actual revenue coming? Where are the actual like real world businesses coming from? So you know, if you look at like the maybe fifty some odd chains of the cosmos, there are practically none of them that actually connect to anything actually real. So it's just like just circle jerk of like Ponzi-nomics and nonsense. So like, I think uh, like if you have an actual you know thing that connects to real world commerce, I think there'll be, they should be interested in that. I'm interested. It sounds cool. 
Yeah. Well, um, I'll reach out, but I, I really appreciate that. I'll start. <laughs> we've neglected everything except for the code. So I'll start putting more time into that and building out the, uh, you know, building out all the, all the necessary hooks to get people to understand it. And then, of course, we're very flexible in the Web3. The perfect world for us is we hand the Web3 off to others. And we we go to Ad Week and we focus on like really really just adoption there, but you know we we aren't going to let it fail on the Web three side or we won't even start because we just can't let down these big companies who are going to rely on us and they're not going to see a distinction between you know us and then the Web three project. So it's going to definitely be something I'm going to be very. I mean I hate to say because it, it sounds like it's going to be controlled. I don't mean that. But by the way, be um, yeah. By the way, Django's uh, point about uh, creating um, so creating a sort of like deflationary tokenomic for a chain coin that is based in real world revenue, very similar to a stock buyback, um, can be a really, really decent way of actually uh, bringing value to a coin holder. It's something that is actually difficult to do for most DeFi projects because it's just like bullshit burn mechanisms. But when you tie it as like, almost like think of it as like a stock buyback, the yeah. revenue goes to destroying some of the supply. That's something that will resonate with a lot of people. So I think Django's right in that respect. Um, anyway, so. Okay, yeah. well, I, I, I'm, I'm going to listen now. You guys. I think, Na think Nahler had something to say to you too, I think. Okay. Yeah, um, feel free to drop me a, a message. Um, we're relatively small validators right now, but we work with the... Uh, larger group that does a lot of validation on their networks as well um so yeah people who drop me a message um and i kind of have a flavor of both sides of it on one side launching my own validator team and, and building out that infrastructure on the other side uh working on like a cosmos chain that's still in stealth um and i'll be honest with you a lot of what like validators want at least from what i can see like most of us don't really care about short-term profitability we really care about that long-term profitability. Uh, like to put things in perspective, like people on Terra, like validators are making millions of dollars a month um, at the end, yeah. towards the end, yeah. Uh, yeah. every single yeah. month from validation services. But, you know, when things launched, when a lot of these validators got into the game, we were making like pennies. Same thing on like Jira, like for us, I think we'll make something, we'll actually lose money our first year of operations unless like, the token skyrockets in value or the activity on chain like skyrockets in value. Um, so we're really looking for, you know, what projects have legs in the long term and, uh, you know, what's expected of validators in, in general, right? Like, and the third thing really is like operations for, for validators. Like there's a lot of chains that'll be like, hey, we're updating code base and no one will know and they won't push it out to us. And then suddenly things will stop or our powerpoints will go down and then we're also, what's going on. Also, Mike, um, there's a difference between like coin distributions that are held primarily by the core teams, which, you know, community type folks at web three have a tendency to like, you know, uh, you know, they, you, people have a hard time with that in the sense that they don't want to be dumped on later too much. Sure. So, like, one of the things to keep in mind um, is, yeah, the the, the the absolute, like, best consumer-friendly tokenomic that achieves your end goal 
will attract the most like community attraction and like virality in terms of like people sending out the message because they feel like they are strongly um, benefiting by kind of like spreading the information you know via i don't know youtube channels and this that and the other thing whereas when it's like heavily centralized uh, it, you know they're going to get the sense that well we're just doing this for some company uh, so that ethos is really really important for like a web3 project i think to succeed that's a, uh, that's a really good point yeah i, mean, I because you have two choices right you, you can either pay for lots of advertising which is one type of thing but the entire point of Web3 is essentially, in my mind, it's like decentralized viral advertising if you do it right. That's a key thing. Um, and yeah. also like a burn mechanism type scenario uh, that Django was mentioning, like you could create something autonomous enough where it does not appear to be some sort of security. And especially if the, the team token allocation and stuff is relatively small, then it avoids like the ire of uh, like, you know, uh, securities type um, uh you know agencies and shit like that so there's a whole process of like figuring out how to make it like uh stay off the radar of uh, those type of folks yeah and i've got good revenue from web too you know so i can also you know kind of help as i need to and so i can give more to the community as needed but you know i'm not fooling myself either to do the web two marketing is going to be quite expensive um as needed to get onboarded so yeah there's a balance there's a balance in terms of what's going to be required to make it value. But if we show that the values, as we add more sites and add more users, the value increases more transactions, then I think the community and everybody else will be like, yeah, let's get more sites. That's that's the motive. If the motivation of the Web3 site is let's get it on as many sites as possible, as fast as possible, then I think everything will work out. You know, um, there'll be so, but how you do that without crossing certain lines, that's definitely a, yeah, a question mark. Yep, Jordan, did you have a question, comment? Yeah, I just wanted to chime in. Um, Mike, very interesting uh, concept. It's like it's really cool to see more builders come into Cosmos. But I was going to say, um, if you're looking to get connected with some validators, um, there's also uh, a Cosmos BD group that they're that a bunch of builders are in on Telegram. So if you wanted to get connected, just shoot me a DM, and if you have a Telegram account, I can I can, I can get you roped in there. So yeah, that's I do definitely, and I really appreciate that. I'll send you a note soon. Cool, and um, yeah, <laughs> before uh, we went under this um, uh, deviation, I guess Mayor, you were about to say something about an hour ago. <laughs> Sorry, I don't remember what it was. Oh, I was just wanting to see if you guys had talked about the osmosis listing and how you think that's going to affect. Uh, uh, how do you think it's going to affect Binance and how do you think it's going to affect, um, you know, maybe more people coming into the uh, paying attention to osmosis? Yeah, well, obviously, um, any listing of any Cosmos thing in uh, Binance makes a difference. That's kind of number one. Number two, like um, it's good to have um, more possible sort of entry points into the Cosmos from centralized exchanges. Um, you know, it's like, it favors decentralization. I know it's like, it's nice to have Adam as like the gateway to the cosmos and it's easy to like for everyone to understand that. But, you know, let's say like one avenue gets shut down, right? But you're able to convert from this coin to that coin to that coin and still get to the cosmos. It long-term makes it impossible for like the cosmos to be shut down and um, shut down in the sense that like 
let's say some regulator doesn't like Atom 2.0 and now like people on Coinbase or somebody can't get to like because they, you know, there's listing issues and people can't get their their liquidity into the Cosmos um, chains. And that poses a problem. Right. So like the more variety of assets that um, allow you to get from a central exchange to the Cosmos um, and the more liquid those things are, uh, the better off for all of us, most likely. And that's kind of the thesis force that Sunny Agarwal has with Osmosis is that like instead of having a single coin necessarily as being the store of value in DeFi for that for the cosmos, there may be sort of like a multi-coin, multi-store of value thesis that um we could all benefit from. And probably if you have like multiple store of value coins of different types, then people will produce like ETF coins and other things if people just want like a you know, a savings asset or something like that. So, yeah, creating a store of value, creating store of value coins within the cosmos is super important. Um, like before the 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 fiasco of Luna, you know, many were hoping Luna would be that. Obviously, um, if you weren't around for this, like, and all you read is the media nonsense about Terra, um, I think you missed most of the point. But um, there was a lot of important dreams there that were that were not realized, and it wasn't just about money. It was this idea that like, um, so to use Bitcoin or something like that as a store of value is, you know, always interesting, but there's no way to sort of like bring that in without some sort of bridge. Um, Nomic is doing some of that, for example. But the thing is, at the end of the day, it's like if you have an IBC native series of stores of value, it's much safer because you don't wind up with... Um, you don't wind up with bridge risks and whatever. The problem within the cosmos, though, is there are many inflationary tokens, but not particularly um, fantastic store of value tokenomics related tokens. Um, Atom 2.0 is an attempt to move in that direction, make it less inflationary, and make it more based on like bringing in the value, like bringing value in and revenue in to then like control the tokenomics and the model. Um, that's one example. And then like Mike's project here, um, where like we were talking about how, you know, there's real revenue coming into the system, um, you know, that increases the probability that, you know, people see that type of thing as a store of value. Um, even stocks and things, by the way, there's some stocks that you consider relative stores of value, like, I don't know, like Apple stock is a great example. It has gotten way less beat down than almost all of big tech. Why? Because it has crazy amounts of revenue and credible execution and therefore like you know people will and it still only has a you know price to earnings ratio of like i think what is it right now it's like 19 or something um but the point is like it uh but look at look at the stock like i don't know um amazon right now which is cratering it's because as soon as growth disappears the store of value story was like is not there because it's basically like heavily um like overpriced for priced in for future growth. So like what happens is, is when that growth is questioned, then you're going to have a big, big dump. Um, so store value uh, requires like, uh, like for people to kind of hold their wealth in some token, there has to be some reason to hold it in a tokenomics that, that like yeah. that. And we, we were missing some of that in the cosmos. We yeah. Those things. Yeah. I, I know there's been discussion about, you know, there's going to be several different stable coins and it looks like, you know, USDC being native, having its own uh, consumer chain will be helpful. But 
um, back to the Binance thing, I just, I always felt like, you know, I'd, I'd heard Sonny say that, you know, so many people ask Sonny and some of the AMAs, like, you know, when is Osmosis going to get listed on a, a major exchange? And Sonny's like, well, whenever they purchase the, the tokens, because we're not going to supply the tokens for them. So um, it seems like, you know, there was no push on osmosis's side to get it listed because I, I i don't know i just see i see like i mean obviously binance and i i think you know they are the big you know giant gorilla as far as when it comes to exchanges like i i find it interesting that they're yeah like paying yeah. binance and providing them liquidity is bullshit if you're if you're a credible chain right like it makes no yeah. sense yeah. So Sunny did the right thing, and, and, and it legitimizes Osmosis as being a, a player in the in the uh, Dex decentralized exchange, the liquidity hub mm -hmm. of of Cosmos. And so, like, I guess an, another big question is, w do you think? And Rama, this might be. I don't know, Rama, if you thought thought kick this idea around, like, could Binance potentially upgrade and want to? Uh, enable IBC just connecting to the Cosmos because I know that the BIP the BIP twenty tokens I don't know if they would be transferable or not I don't, I don't know do you know Rama like uh, yeah. I don't see why they couldn't there'd probably be a bit of development work to make it happen but yeah um, you know there's talks about creating like native IBC channels with like Polygon and, and Mat you know Matic and all that sort of stuff so um, you know the text there. It's just a matter of building out the IBC yeah. channels and compatibility. Yeah, because I mean, Steffi, like in Rama, this is like one of the things. Like, I mean, no one knows what the future is going to look like. You know, three years from now, with this crazy, you know, Web three and in in crypto, it's it's like aside from Bitcoin, which I believe is it's Bitcoin is an entirely different thing than all the other alts. Like Bitcoin does one thing, and it does one thing really good, and that is being digital gold being bitcoin you know everything else with smart contracts like i th i don't think anyone except like really the big heavy hitter players like the people that are actually shaping the industry you know like cz and you know some of these other guys like they kind of know where things are going you know but i guess like like so anyways just to get back around like it's like would it be a smart play for for binance to or or ethereum to want to align with the cosmos ecosystem to to enable more um commerce and transfer of tokens it just seems like that's the play to me you but know finance has never really like clearly elucidated besides the fact that you, they use the cosmos sdk to build a chain they've never elucidated um any kind of like vision for anything of what you're talking about um, it makes sense to do so, right? Like it's like, it's kind of, well, but at the same time, it's more obvious now that like the ecosystem has become more and more successful and IBC was implemented and everything. So when Binance began this journey, um, it, you know, whenever that was, um, years ago, like this, um, like it, you know, that they weren't sure what the success of you know, all of this was going to be at the time, right? They just sort of used the software development kit and built a chain. And it's one of the few, like, uh, ways you can actually create a chain except for forking, you know, Ethereum or something, right? So, um, 
you know, it's the same reason why Mike is building on, S, you know, Cosmos SDK as well. Um, it's like, but I don't think Binance has sorted all this out yet. And they certainly haven't telegraphed anything to the Binance community that I'm aware of that, you know, it would probably have made big news already. So, but, you know, but also it's like Binance CZ seems to respond to like, like massive community, like, you know, communication. Like you look at the kind of shenanigans that went on with Luna Classic. By the way, I learned a lot from all of that, by the way. Not, like just, you know, being around that community and finding out what kind of, you know, craziness that they <laughs> invoked. But and like it, CZ actually responded to quite a few of the things that we had asked for. And did, um, did you did you know that Binance is um, part of the Twitter? Like they gave point, uh, zero yes, point yes, five I heard about that. billion to... Um, mm-hmm help elon uh, acquire twitter yeah i and, just heard about that yesterday yeah and we're getting and, twitter payments like a hundred percent like you're gonna be able to tip there'll be crypto like native crypto 100%. some type of crypto twitter payments yes and yes um, and if it becomes a like yeah if they enable ibc and like it becomes a uh, cosmos native thing that'd be pretty impressive uh, like or cosmos could be implemented in there because yeah if cz sort of understands cosmos already then there is some probabilities you know that that could occur in theory yeah, I I guess it all goes to like what's going to be the 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 wallet mechanism within Twitter. It, it maybe it would just be like three different coins, you know, like Doge and the Binance um stablecoin, the BUSD, you know, and maybe one other two other tokens. You know, if they just kept it simple to like three tokens, then like yeah, you and and what does Binance care as long as their stablecoin is one of them? You know. Yeah, I mean, you can imagine like EVM. You can imagine uh, uh, like any of the Bitcoin hard fork. You can imagine Bitcoin itself. You can imagine um, you know being more incorporated, and you can imagine some Cosmos related connection. I think. Um, yeah, I think that's sort of like the obvious, and then you know some way to hook up wallets and things to your Twitter accounts or whatever. Um, then, you know, the question is more importantly, like, how does Twitter make money? Because in all of this, if Twi- Twitter can take a cut of some kind of transactions of some kind, then of course, like they can monetize the platform more, right? Because there's a lot of crypto native community here. Um, and nobody's figured out how to make any money at Twitter, which is another, <laughs> like, which is a problem. Ad spend and all that is just boring. Um, like, you know, that's a very web two thing. Um, is it possible to create like some kind of web three revenue streams for twitter i don't know i'm not sure maybe binance has ideas that may be part of it too they might have been like wait we can figure out how to make money for us we can make money for you as twitter we can find some sort of new way to bring crypto to users um and twitter is more world it's like it's a pretty worldwide um platform in the sense that like yeah yeah i mean it's not hyper local like facebook tends. no it's a global it's a global thing kind of like reddit you know like reddit's doing the nft thing right now yeah yeah it's like it's in and i really like anything elon touches like he makes it like 20x better so and he wants to make an app that can compete with um what is it wechat or like a a mega app where you like do all in one you know so yeah like kind of like kind of like a paypal meets twitter meets meet your banking app you know well he knows how to attract like the important thing for elon is like the craziest talent on the planet will be like yeah i'll work for you for free whatever you know what I mean? Like he, he he'll attract almost anybody at this point, right? So it's 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 easy for him in that in that yeah, respect. So just some thoughts out there, you know, it's like I don't know, it's it's just like I'm saying, it's like who knows what the next 
two or three years it's going to look like, you know. But anyways, Jordan, you had your hand up? Oh, yeah. I was just going to chime in. I I swear there was an interview with Chango and on Interchain FM with uh, someone from BNB Chain, but I can't seem to find anything on it. I don't know. I remember seeing a post somewhere. and There was a recent uh, Binance uh, Django interview regarding, because um, I think I helped set that up, but it was like uh, the one for um, discussing like the Luna Classic plans for them. But I don't remember one for BNB mm. Chain specifically. That's but maybe there is yeah. one. Yeah, take a, take a I, look. I think, I think she was trying to interview someone, and I think they were hinting towards like what are the future plans, but I think. I, I have a feeling like the 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 talk uh, just didn't end up like they scheduled it and then just didn't end up going through. So I don't know what happened there, but I wonder if it's in their roadmap or plans uh, to include IBC. That'd be really cool. Yeah, like you know, like like what Mike's doing with his project, like with like a rewards program and all this business. That's the kind of thing that. Um, uh, like that's the kind of thing that ultimately, like if you can incorporate it into something like a Twitter or whatever, it can be super, super useful for like consumers and everything else. But yeah, no doubt. I'm the last motherfucker no you want to let up tonight. You guys want to talk about some real shit? Or you guys want to talk about crypto? Yeah, that guy, that guy's a troll. He's been around before. That's kind of like <laughs> normally <laughs> don't <bad>. block people, <laughs> but yeah, that way, like never have to deal with him again. It's annoying. <laughs> Sorry, man. I uh, I, figured, uh, I saw someone request. I'll uh, I'll be uh, cautious next time. I no, it's not that. Forget, it's, I forget like, your. I, I don't mind. It's just followers. that one guy. I was like, I'm, you know, I know him. It's <laughs> what, was he, what was he about? Kind of like Jimmy the Otter, right? Like, uh... hmm. No, is he? Uh, no, he's he's not Jimmy the Otter. Jimmy the Otter is a, like a, a weird genius. This no, no, guy's yeah, just a no, moron. No. <laughs> so like. <laughs> Yeah, eventually, if you find people that like provide no no productive conversation, it's like, all right, out you go. But. Yeah, the Twitter the Twitter comment was very interesting because it's the same thing we ran into as we've been going off of Wax and, and EOS is that if you can find a way to monetize it so that both parties can make something out of it, it's a very I, we feel like a very compelling. Way and that's fascinating that Twitter may be going down the same roads or BNB even or Binance that we did with EOS and with Wax and like probably DYDX. Eventually, you realize that you have to create value within your own token. Otherwise, you're just paying, you know, market value for some other token, which a lot of these reward programs are. You're buying ETH, you're buying, you know, Bitcoin or something. You're trying to you hope it doesn't drop when you're holding it before you give it to somebody. Yeah, the win-win kind of part of it is fascinating that we found out and dug into that Binance may be and definitely sounds like from the description that I just heard that maybe Twitter's in that same exact place, but it's game changing once you can monetize both ends of it. Uh, yeah, I think crazy. we'll make it the next 50 chains or next 100 chains on Cosmos, I think will come fairly quickly. Um, you know, and some of them will be by your like folks like yourself that are more traditional um, Web2 companies because uh at this point like cosmos sdk and especially once we have like the mm, interchain security piece and you can go consumer chain it's going to really be one of the least expensive ways ultimately for any major company to sort of just show up right um so whether they join ibc and benefit from the 
users in the Cosmos ecosystems and Kepler wallet and everything else, or whether they just simply use the blockchain for whatever tooling, you know, whatever they need it for. Um, and not all of them are necessarily going to monetize it, by the way. Some of them are going to have probably, they'll com- probably come a time where some companies like, let's say American Airlines or whatever, some airline com- you know, company wants to do a frequent flyer miles program. You know, they might be sufficiently wealthy enough that, and validator networks are relatively cheap enough that they could just run all their validators on their own. They don't need decentralization at all. They would just simply build out the whole thing. And, you know, if they felt like blockchain was a useful tool for them, they would use it. And if they felt like it was not, they just use traditional networks. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's all sorts of interesting, um, you know, uh, benefits from the fungibility of something like a rewards point or a frequent flyer miles point where you can like swap between one and the other and a user can say hey i want to use my rewards point for this or hey i want to go buy rewards points and use them on that or whatever right like you can see how like the the airline industry does this um they try to form bigger and bigger networks and like if one airline's doing it it's better at scale to have like in europe as a good example like the star alliance um airlines is a good example of this where you know, Lufthansa and a series of other airlines um, all joined together and they have this big frequent flyer miles network. And then like the miles are fungible between the different airlines. Um, so like it's just one token kind of for all of them as opposed to like Lufthansa having their own blah, blah, blah. And then in the United States, you have a tendency to have more of the individual airlines having their own kind of um, program because they're trying to keep like people sticky within their ecosystem. So it really depends on the goals of the program for those things and what incentives they're trying to drive. But I think, uh, yeah, Cosmos should uh, be able to attract some of those type of big projects or big companies. I don't think there's any other place for it. I mean, they're really, we looked around, we spent a lot of time. Like I said, we already built, we were block producing on other chain like that, but I don't think there's another, I don't think that there's another model that can work and be sustainable, you could actually make it, you got to cross the chasm, right? You have a big curve to get over to where you can then get mass adoption on the Web2 side. So you really don't have a lot of options to go with uh, unless you are like a single company looking for your single value, which is kind of what we have today. Um, we did a lot of analysis on rewards and you know we know that United will sell points to Hertz at a discount. There's a whole secondary market for buying points and moving points around that exists outside of blockchain. But what we had to do was, and I'm not gonna spend too much time, just real quickly, we had to build this USL token that's completely standalone, that has no connection to anything else. And basically the points are, t- are blockchain you know, tokens. So we had to do that because we didn't get Cosm Wasm like we thought. So we took an extra couple of months and completely isolated the USL. And so, as you mentioned, like some, projects may we run large servers for big companies that have hackers and pci we would do like right now we're doing the the transactions with all that stuff right now so for us to just peel off usl and just make it private and just have this blockchain running reward program like we have that working um but we'll never get past the the chasm right because you know visa or hey somebody's going to take us out before we get even part way down the road so this is like we talked about earlier, this is where that, that inflection point comes in, where you've got the ability to maybe have both sides benefit each other and play off each other to where you can, and you can't do this in wax, you can't do it. It's like, it just can't be done, right? And the IBC helps and everything else helps, but it's just a fa- it's fascinating when you start digging into points and how they work and Air Miles Canada up in Canada that 
even getting gas at the gas station as our universal reward program. Uh, it's kind of fascinating as you start studying it all. Uh, and yeah. I, I think it, I think that is fascinating. I mean, when you talk about rewards programs, like in that sense, it's it's pretty much customer loyalty. Like you're you're just you're re- trying to reward your customers. Like the biggest thing for me is like the gas points thing. You know, here in the U.S., it's like okay, if I can stick with this same gas station or you know fuel. Uh, you know, gas station, like they're going to reward me. And if I keep going back to them, I'm going to be able to save 10, 15% on my fuel. So like, yeah, I'm going to just keep coming back to them. And then, oh, by the way, you know, they, I'm number, number two. Okay. You have to download their app onto your phone. Okay. Well, now I got the app on my phone and they can send me, you know, free, free drink certificates and stuff like that. So it's all about the customer, you know, acquisition and keeping your customer coming back to you. And I think you know, blockchain is 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 ideal for that because it, in the end, a blockchain is a distributed ledger. But you think about all these loyalty rewards programs, it's like these companies don't want to spend, you know, millions of dollars on the employees for the customer service and all that stuff. When a, a blockchain is like, what, a thousand times more efficient to, to run that type of loyalty program? I don't know. It's really, it's really made for it because it's just like e-commerce transactions, you know, the blockchain ledger. And if you go into our chain, you look at the transactions, you see, you see all the tra- all of the uh, rewards being moved around from redeemed, earned, you know, everything. So it's being kept track of. So if someone comes along and says, "We don't believe you," like we don't think that this transaction took place, well, I can, I mean, it, it's right there, and I can go back to the e-commerce site, and we can pull the actual order where it's where, the, and we can even, and even in e-commerce. In order to be in a rewards program, you have to give your email address, shipping address, phone number, you know, all that stuff. So we don't have the same barriers either as like Web3 with with kind of who is your – it may not be KYC, AML totally, but I mean these guys are following the laws that apply to, to e-commerce. And all that data is clearly very well marketed and tracked by all these tracking pixels. So – you know, it's a different mindset with privacy, and we're not trying to exploit anything. We're not trying to do anything beyond. We're just taking what's already exists, you know. And as those laws tighten up, then we'll tighten up as well. But the really cool thing is, is that a lot of uh, there's a lot of carve outs. I think there's a lot of lobbyists within the rewards programs. There's a lot of carve outs legally. Um, if you stay, that's why we even though we have a payment method right now, we're not, and it works on the demo site we've got. Like you can go use your token and pay with it. We're probably going to turn that off to begin with um, just because there's a lot of legal um, protections around rewards on the on the uh, Web2 side. Um, so, yeah, it, it's cool that we can do all these things. But again, like it's probably just starting with with just, you know, one, two steps to just try to get um, the adoption. And then as laws and everything is clearer and regulations, then we can just open up stuff that we already have working now that will temporarily will turn off at first probably. But, you know, I don't know. I just, I just think it's a really cool opportunity. I think that um, there aren't this many times in history where you've got this ability to really bring two financial systems together. And of course it's playing with a little bit with some, some you know, interesting dynamics. But it's it's incredibly powerful. So if you talk about the loyalty at a brand level, if you talk about it at the loyalty at like a a uh, United Airlines or or your your gas, well, what if that loyalty exists at one level higher? 
what if that loyalty exists at a ability? Because some lot most of the eighty percent of the points for sites that we've got are never used. You know, you how many shoes do you buy? How many gift baskets do you buy in the course of two years before they expire? Right, and so. Once you can start to use those, and the other secret is, is that my customers don't even want to show them that they have points sometimes. So people, I don't know what it is, what they want to, they want to earn 15% off and get that. And they love that. So the draw is, oh my gosh, I'm saving, I'm getting these points. But then when you zoom out, in order to, people, only 20% of the people actually use them, right? They don't, they earn them and don't use them. They go to waste. Yeah. Because the, oh, oh, yeah. so you do, yeah. you really get a lot of dynamics. You start studying this and getting into it. And, talk, and I've got customers, big, huge customers, who I talk to. You know, obviously more so than I have on Web three, and you get a lot of insight into how these programs actually work right now, and what the gaps are. Yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting. But I to circle back around our conversation about like the Cosmos ecosystem. It's like they they've built out like kind of like the roads and the bridges and like all the foundational pipes and stuff to for people to build on top of and um i think you know they they saw the the vision of you know uh 500 700 1000 blockchains connected to each other Did, if you look at the a post i put up in the nest um sunny of osmosis i think he tweeted that out today and he said the reason cosmos will win is because it's uh neutral um and it's back to that interview uh sefi that i was talking about that uh, cryptocito did with jay um zucky and sunny um it, it is really amazing like i was listening to jay talk too because I, I really wanted to hear what he had to say like he is really a visionary, like some of the stuff he was talking about, like, you know, getting uh, the ecosystem up to, you know, five, seven hundred, eight hundred chains. Like that's that's the vision they had way at the beginning. Did you did you catch that part of, of, of some of the stuff? Jay yeah, was talking like about? Jay, Jay's Jay's interesting and he has a lot of um, very Im important points. And obviously, if, uh, you know like you know cosmos and everything else becomes really big in the next 10 years like you know he'll he'll go down among other people as some of the big sort of inventors in human history or whatever right like so he's he's yeah, no it, idiot. but the, it, the thing if is the vision, if the vision does play out the way yeah. they they they, they kind of see it because it's like that it could be independent. Like it's, I don't, I kind of like see it but, as like, like the compared to the inner early internet, you know, like here's, here's the butt in there though. Like the thing is, um, so there are a lot of people who came up with a lot of interesting shit like Nikolai Tesla, but, uh, like had issues with execution. And I think, uh, to some extent, like maybe, you know, uh, you know, Jay lets kind of, um, you know, his like, interesting rabbit hole like paranoias and whatever mm -hmm. those are yep. yeah. he, he lets them he lets that inject into sort of like the ethos of like execution mm -hmm. and um it's it becomes a distraction as you've noticed so the, the yeah. problem but, but, is but even that, when they were talking about government or governance mm -hmm. J, J, jay even said he's like he's like well no one no one owns the cosmos like i right i, I, I don't know if those were his exact words but like, I think when he's talking with Sonny and Zaki, 
like he 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 chooses his words very carefully and i he does he's <laughs> more measured than you would think he is by some of his tweets and other random uh things he says right like you're like wait over here you sound like you're really really um uh, pissed off and trying to steer the ship yeah like you, when you're tweeting it sounds like yeah you're you're you're, you're it's like you, you say some things that are like stirring up drama and or maybe like you know it's like a like a yeah, maybe like a trump sort of character in a sense but then on the other hand like when you're talking over here on video like with a group of people you seem reasonably coherent and um i think historically the issue has been like it's not that his ideas uh don't have merit it's um his ability to form like uh coalitions at this point and keep them together um maybe the some of the issue at hand so what happened was like a lot of divisiveness happened years ago Django has a lot of that history she was there for a lot of it and yeah she was like, yeah, yeah. I, and I, she's yeah. like you don't really want to know the whole story but I was like yeah like, give me the TLDR or whatever it's like yeah there's a lot of personality issues um better future also knows about a lot of these things too he's he has a, an idea of the kinds of issues but yeah but anyway like it's some of those personality things between individuals led to sort of like people moving on and doing different things, which mm -hmm. actually worked out really well in some sense, because like, you know, that forced decentralization. And in a way, like, I think, who was it that said this, like either Zaki or somebody, it's like it indirectly, um, you know, forced Jack, everyone to Jack, move and build yeah. different things and, and, yeah. promote, and it became more decentralized as opposed to some sort of like centralized cult of personality. So on the one hand, while, yeah, you can look at all this, shenanigans as being negative on the other hand it prevented it becoming too too centralized um and forced everyone to realize in a way that wait what if you have some kind of charismatic leader and something happens to them or what if they um you know misrepresent the community yeah. in some way so at this point like even if jay something says something weird uh, or anybody does something strange it's not going to wreck the entire ecosystem it, it doesn't matter well yeah exactly because he he has you know i don't want to get all into that now now but it's like it's been out there for for a while and you know at times you ignore it and at other times it gets louder but the, the point is it's already happened but that the ecosystem ecosystem is bigger than that now but back to my original point it's like just if 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 it does get built out to where there are that many more chains that it's like that's what they built it for um so it, it will be interesting um but it, it's it's kind of like the opposite of cardano you know like i think they're building cardano to you know for a billion people to use it but it's like there's i don't think there's hardly you know i mean i know they do have some a good sized community right now but it's like it doesn't seem like it's it's scaling you know like it should you know yeah but, and, the other and, thing and there's one person kind of like at the head you know you know who the head central fig figure person is too you know yeah sort of like when you kind of look at kind of the who's who of crypto type people like you know the kobe's or some other people they seem to sort of ignore that ecosystem entirely because they think there's a lot of like um you know kind of like uh um maybe more hype or whatever and not as much delivery but the other warning though would be that like we don't really follow all the different protocols and projects in that ecosystem so you know when we're on crypto twitter we're an echo bubble of the people we follow which is going to be way more likely to be cosmos people if i would imagine right like you're not probably following like a, you know even a dozen cardano things i would imagine so there's going to be an element of like um 
you won't know all the alpha of all the things coming out even on any of those chains so like it's almost pointless to even like <laughs> like it, it's it's almost pointless to even like try to yeah. predict what's going to happen there yeah yeah i agree it's because it's like you, you were just not in it right yeah I, I but i just think it's like a comparison as to like you know a chain that has like one central figurehead even though charles says he's like you know hey oh, I'm not, yeah, yeah. I'm not yeah. the cardano foundation blah 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 i run iokao ao or whatever you know and but um yeah i well, don't know yeah the the blockchain space is interesting in that like if you can get a figurehead that communicates well and will speak to people like media and others and like do that in a way that's like respectful of the general views of the community and there's a vision that's created that the community is willing to um like uh um rally around like you know steve jobs type character and that kind of thing um that can be very very good too there's nothing wrong with that and i think like um doe did a good job of that generally speaking but the problem is like as soon as something goes wrong um guess what like there's someone to blame immediately and go after which you know is another point of failure and it's like an attack vector as well so you know it is what it is so like i think if you look at this last bull market for example like adam didn't um go quite as crazy as some other things and like um yeah, because there was no central, there was no central person out there exactly promoting it day in and day out, and it's exactly. You know, it, it well, is, it also suggests that like the last bull run outside of uh, osmosis, there was no real use case. Like you, you mm-hmm. buy Adam. The, yeah. the only reason you would buy Adam is like a speculation uh for future right and you know if you're buying it at 45 dollars mm-hmm. to hold long term like what do you doing, yeah this is right? this is true there's not a DeFi ecosystem attached directly to adam exactly yeah, like was, this the next before, bull run yeah. like ics is going to be enabled treasury uh you know there's actual real use cases for purchasing adam as a long-term uh investment yeah. uh, where you could also you know liquid stake it provide additional yield Etc. Uh, Etc. Et right. So I think yeah. next we're, we're perfectly positioned for the next bull run to to go and break the the all time high. Yeah, but uh, before twenty twenty one, but yeah, before twenty twenty one, it was what just Akash and and uh, Secret and Adam and like one or two other chains before. Yeah, osmosis. right. And like a bunch of a bunch of current app chains just like won't ever break all time high again. Right. Uh, that's you need to be real. There is a number that we currently have that won't break their current all-time high. Uh, and then there'll be an, a bunch of new app chains that spin up in the next bull run that, you know, they'll be the next thing. Uh, what they are, not too sure. Uh, at this stage, like I've, I've got a couple of investments at the moment across a number of chains, but uh, there'll be new ones, right? So uh, keep keep your eyes and ears open. Yeah, the folks who are not really holding any kind of like AMAs or discussions or anything else during sort of bear market times, it makes you wonder about their, you know, like financial solvency and other other factors. So like even the Akash folks do like a weekly AMA, things like that. Secret does one, I think. And then, you know, so uh, the people that stay engaged, I think, um, I think that's a good sign generally right like if you if you see people like just completely disappear like wait who are these people they have a chain and we don't know where they went um that's a bit more concerning that they're only showing up when like the market's pumping or whatever 
And, um, you know, like yeah. th this is my criticism of like the Cadena blockchain is a good example. Like while the price is down, like, wait, like, where's everybody? Like, where are all the, <laughs> where are all the Cadena fans? Where's all the, the projects and stuff? Why is there less, not as much discussion? Um, so it's like, it's, they're only having fun when money's being made or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, one more thing about osmo osmosis and I'm probably going to, I need to step down here in a minute, but you know, Sonny has a lot of connections with Berkeley and, um, he's always making, uh, kind of shout outs to them. I guess there's like a big crypto club at Berkeley that like, he's always trying to get talent to come out of. And I think that's a good sign of, of a executive is it's like you're going to the the high-tech colleges and you're you're recruiting like you have to re recruit yeah. recruit the young kids and and i think i think cosmos in general is a really good um landing spot for a, a lot of young kids coming out of computer science classes because it's like i guess it is like the the SDK kid is there and Cosmosm is a little bit easier. So it's like I think with Sunny and the Berkeley connections, I think that's really a big a big plus. Yeah, that's a, a very open source favored community too, if you look at the Berkeley crowd. Yeah. I have a question. Because like I mean there's never been like that that's honestly like one of the challenges. Like if you know like WBA, like they've been working a lot on onboarding devs. I think that still is a significant challenge because, like, I don't know about you, but a lot of these newer devs that are coming in, I don't know how much I would trust their code at like a, at like a base level to a certain degree. Like, there's still a lot of learning that they have to get done before they get to a point where you know we can be trusting millions or, or, or billions of dollars of TBL on those contracts, right? And I know like there are auditing platforms, but there's like during the bull market, there's a lot of auditing platforms that don't have the time and they just like rubber stamp it. Um, to well, the like fact that there was different. a there were a dozen bridge hacks, right? Now there's like a like crazy yeah. money slipped out of bridges. Like even who, like who, I don't is, know. who is coding these things, right? So Yeah. No, I, I, I agree definitely. Like it it's like anyone coming out of, you know, uh, out of school. It's like you gotta get one or two years of of actually doing doing the job before you get really proficient and good at it, but I, I just think that it's I don't know it, it, I think it's good that there are some connections there with with Berkeley and that location and you know that's where a lot of the just top level computer science minds you know go. Yeah, I mean, like I I've networked a lot with the Berkeley guys because like I just finished my undergrad like what a year ago maybe it's a bit over a year ago. Um, and I ran like the blockchain club at my my school. There's a lot of people out there that are interested. There's a lot of Cosmos interest too. Um, I think part of that is because of Sunny, um, and like there's a lot of cool projects coming out up there. Um, but like the interesting thing, especially on this, from what I've seen now, and the more and more I see it, the more and more it sucks. But I can't figure out a good solution to it. Is that like there's never been a shortage of junior developers. It's really only a shortage of senior developers, and no teams uh, really want to take the time to pick up that talent uh, at the junior level. Because all that means is you're going to be losing productive hours. You're going to be slowing down to pick people up, 
And then, like, at the same breath, they'll be like, hey, there's no senior talent around. We're willing to pay so much, but there's no one there. It's kind of like a catch-22 where, like, you have to slow down, pick people up, and then they'll be able to pay you off in the long run. But most teams are too short-sighted for that. Because, um, yeah, they'd rather try and push the, the, the experienced guy. Yeah, I think there's that, there's that problem in a lot of different um vocations and careers it's like yeah but i think yeah especially in crypto and how fast it moves but um very very interesting but i i yeah i really feel like yeah there's i don't know so much potential so much potential here and this is uh, why it's like i found it easier to become a doctor <laughs> like <laughs> you know like when i was like going when i was an undergrad and everything else and um i'm like wait hmm, i could go and become like I'm, I'm pretty good at this i can get a fairly cohesive position it's not going to necessarily be like ultra innovative but i know like i can find work anywhere in the world and i know i can find like um you know in my particular field in critical care and stuff like it doesn't matter where I go, anywhere in the country, I could get a job. Um, I could run a department or division or how, go to whatever level I felt like it. I could run a hospital. So really, it's like it was pretty diverse and like um, the sky was the sort of limit, but it wasn't um, like, but going to careers where there's like innovation and um, like you're risking your time where you're not sure, you know, projects can be successful and other things. It's it's a different type of stressful um, type of career so like um yeah i i, I understand the reasons why um, like all, all the different reasons why what you guys are saying is difficult and um part of the reason why it was like um becoming like a physician was actually the lazy way to go about making a buck in the world in, in all seriousness or, or like met i don't know it's not the right thing to it's like it's a slightly different sort of uh, mental framework um, and doing what you guys do, like like now they're trying to put together like teams and things. To me, that's actually more stressful than having than when you're in a professional career where it's like there's a structure that you follow and like you know you you know you can generate a sort of income from it and that kind of thing. It's a very different um, experience, I would say. But whatever. <laughs> um, hey, Humstead, what's up? Hey, man. Hey, Steffi. Um, hey, Mayor. Uh, I was just going to add in a little bit on what you were saying from my own professional experience. Um, like, it, no, like, I guess, like, either way, you kind of feel like you're, you, you're capped. Like, you know, like there's a ceiling wherever. Um, whether you chose to be a doctor or a lawyer or a politician or something like that, like there is this ceiling. And I think some of what we're trying to do here in web three is like smash that, right? Like, like some of that is part of this, like yeah, no, there's, there's changing no the economic circumstances of it and things like that. So like, kind of what you were saying there about like why you became a doctor and things like that. I was like, yeah, no, I, I get it because I made some of those choices when I was 22, 23, 25, like this was the safe thing to do. This was like the career thing I needed to do. And as my life has evolved and as I've, you know, found as, as web three has evolved and I've found it lately. Um, 
it really has, has changed my outlook on all of that. Um, so yeah, I, I just wanted to kind of, yeah, I think, I think everyone's personalities are different in this respect, right? Like it's like your risk tolerance in life has a lot to do with these kinds of like career choices one would make. It's like, if you like mentally prefer sort of like stability over like, uh, maybe extreme asymmetric, like income levels or some sort of like uh, reach or something like that, then you'll choose one type of career. If you're like, well, throw all that caution to the wind and like, you know, just, you know, put your whole life on the line and do this, this, and this, um, you know, entrepreneurial type things, essentially. Um, that's a very different type of career, you know, like even, in, even the encoders and developers and things, you have folks who are like content with just sort of like having a low level job and doing it. And then there's other people that have ideas and they want to have a vision. They want to build huge things. Right. And, um, you know, there's like levels suited for everybody, depending on what they, what they care about in life. It's kind of part of the human condition, right? Yeah. It's just part of the condition. Don't you think like it, like it's, it's, it's just part of what's inherent in all of us. Like some of us are going to want to, keep pushing forward or keep questioning and things like that. And some of us will be just happy to, you know, make, make do. Yeah. I think, I think there's a fascinating, you know, play here as we look at it because you've got kind of a mix of worlds and this happens periodically. Like I said, back in the nineties, we had this happen with basically computers and putting them on the internet. Right. And so the guys I'm working with are writing the protocols and building it all you know, for email and for BGP routing and all that. And now the same thing's happening and the talent doesn't exist in general. And so you got to figure out where you're going to get it. Back then we went to colleges and people, but the one thing that I'm really finding cool is that my e-commerce developers with 17, 20 years of experience who do transactions at PCI, like they get this and they can come in because of the incredible groundwork built in the Cosmos SDK and the ABCI plus plus that you can code in, in language you've been coding in for years doing secure code and you can do it in web three. So I had one developer tell me he doesn't want to work on this stuff. He thinks it's crazy, but the other ones are coming along, but no matter what, it's all an investment of effort, right? You, you, you got to put in a ton of effort and patience and, and then, you know, spend the money along the way to allow them the space to get to where they're expert in, in, in the web three part. So, you know, but it's really fascinating to kind of look at how it's evolving. And, and the coolest thing in the sovereign chain model and cosmos is so cool compared to other ones in that, like you can have the young people, you can have experienced people, you can have people only do web three, their whole programming career. They come out of school like four or five years ago or something. It's all they've done. And it kind of just works. It's, it's a very, I mean, besides the rug pulls and besides the, the you know, humans getting involved too much with on the, uh, on, uh, maybe I'm not gonna call it greed, but kind of taking money and running, the actual technology, it, it actually kind of just keeps working. It's incredible what's been built yeah, um, at the functional level. It's, it's actually int- very interesting, like hearing that from people that um, sort of build and stuff. Cause like those of us who don't do this for a career, right? Like we're, you know, hanging around, sort of like finding out like, okay, is this useful? Is it not? Um, It's a lot more difficult. Like, for example, my field is in uh, pulmonary critical care medicine, for example. And if I were to say, okay, like, 
this ventilator is better than this one for X, Y, and Z reasons. Um, you might say, okay, well, like, okay, maybe I mean, you know, you, you want to hear from an expert as far as like, you know, which one is more useful, right? Like if you just walked up to it and look at the screen and turn some knobs, you'd have no idea what the utility of one versus the other would be and what features matter and why they matter or anything else. And it's, it's interesting when someone like actually who uses these systems and like codes on them and then kind of uses different other systems, has a basis for comparison for act with actual experience and says, Hey, this had, you know, they did a really good job building this uh, programming language or, or blockchain or whatever. Then it's, um, yeah, it's, I like listening to guys like you kind of talk about these things. Cause I learn a lot as far as the, um, you know, like what are the technical merits? Because I don't have the ability to judge that myself in this particular arena, right? So it's the feedback when you hear it is always interesting for people that are either investors or consumers or users or whoever that aren't like in it for like, you know, the knowledge about the tech is sort of modest at best, right? Yeah, I think that, that you know, just a, the two second overview is that you have two components. You have the Tendermint Ignite consensus layer. And then on top of that, you got the SDK layers, right? And so the consensus layer is really where all the magic happens with all of the, the, the validators and the voting on the blocks and the, the packaging of the blocks. And then totally separate company organizations are working on the SDK part of it. And that, I don't know if that was done by design or if it was a kind of a fork in personalities way back when, but it's magic. It's, it's really kind of magic in how it works because as long as you can keep the consensus layer, you know, what's actually doing all the blocks separate from the complex code, then you can have problems with bridges. You can have problems with all sorts of code things written, but you can still have that thing keep producing blocks. You know, just there's another block, another block, another block, and it just keeps going, right? And and that's really the magic, I think, is that it's to, in e-commerce we don't have, in e-commerce we've got very stack level systems that are built from ground up all the way through. And so you get a breach somewhere with the hacker getting into, you know, a top level application at the JavaScript level, you can, they can take credit cards, you know, at the transaction level. So, you know, we deal with that in our world, but in web three, I'm not saying that it won't happen. I'm not saying it can't happen, but the fact it's built the way it is, is really uh, a testament to. And that is open source. So like there's plenty of people that can evaluate it for bugs and problems as well. Right, yeah. and it gives a chain like ours and like Adam even the ability to stay very vanilla, like super, super just we're just doing consensus. Like we're not trying to build a bunch of complex code on top of it. We just need it for the yeah. transaction layer, right? And you got that option. We don't have to bring in tons of extra code we don't we didn't write it, we don't know about. We Mike, can just use you, the consensus layer. That's yeah. that's why Jay's a chain minimalist when it comes to the hub. It's smart. It's I mean, there's a reason why you have chains and you have network of chains and why you got that because there's, and I understand the vote around Cosm Wasm on on the Atom Hub, and you know, yeah, I mean, there's security and simplicity, right? I mean, you know, and doing what you do well. Mike, you want you might want to look at see what like Celestia.org is doing too. I don't know if you've looked at that briefly, but it's basically looking at data availability modularity, which is another interesting um, uh, element to all this. That's it's also a Cosmos chain that's been modified. And it's like, uh, and 
I'm not even sure I understand it just because like <laughs> I yeah, read it's it. Some next, like, it's some next level stuff. It's some it next level shit. And I'm like, um, yeah, they're still in beta for <laughs> sure. But. but you might want to just look at their site and just like celestia.org and see like what they're doing. You might have better find a better explanation than I can of what it is. I, I watched mm -hmm. some videos on it. And I'm still kind of scratching my head going, wait, um, yeah. like it, how would, how would, how would you use this? And uh, yeah, when, it, but, it, when it all comes down to it, it's just about reaching consensus, you know, and just solving the mm -hmm. double spend, you know, and it's, it's like you're saying, Mike, well, no, but there's like, other yeah, pieces yeah. too. There's like, where do yeah. you do computation? Yeah. And With where the do smart you, contracts, where yeah. do you store yeah. data, um, that may not be just necessarily like, um, financial finance, you know, uh, yeah. It may not be just simply like just the transactional finality. There may be other data pieces that need to like yeah. These, sit somewhere yeah. before they're used. So, Celestria is like a next generation blockchain. It's 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 a lot further along than you know. But I also like you know it's kind of like what Jay was saying in, in the talk with um, with uh, Zachy and Sonny. He was like you know keep the hub. Um, as as simple as possible and use it for security and then you can have a 300 different other um consumer chains and you know whatever happens on those happens on those chains um and they're separate and they're siloed and and that's kind of the 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 genius of the um the engineering behind you know something as as complicated as 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 this ecosystem but anyways it's it's really interesting to talk about and um I think uh, it's like I was saying at the beginning, you know, who knows what, what it's going to look like three years from now. You know, it's like the, you know, cause it's, I, I got to go back and listen to that talk with, um, with uh, I think it was um, Sonny and, and, and someone else on Bankless. And they were talking about the differences between Cosmos and Ethereum. It's kind of like, you know, Ethereum is the base letter level and the set settlement layer like Ethereum is the L1 and everything else is built on top of it. But in the cosmos, it's, it's kind of like the, it's, 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 it's not, I don't want to say opposite, but it's like inverted. It's like yeah, it's infinite L1s. Yeah. In infinite L1s. Yeah. It's like a different way of engineering it. And it's like, it's, it's really, it, it, and, and I agree with it, with the fact that they like people, they'll, whenever you, you get these, the, these two camps to talk to each other they'll be like well cosmos is an indirect competition with ethereum because it it's a different thing it's not the same design does that make sense the way the way, it, the way i look at it is that we had aol I'm, going, I'm old school i guess right we had aol we had CompuServe. if you want to go on the internet you would log into aol you dial up you get aol you'd have your news you'd have your websites you'd have everything in aol's world and it was very centric and it was amazing, right? It changed. Uh, but then Netscape Chameleon came out, which gave you, you know, Netscape kind of tooling, which was similar, but it was using more de decentralized, more other types of news from other sources. And then eventually companies like Union that came along, like where I worked, and we gave power to corporations and companies to create web to, to websites online and big companies to start doing you know, like Mark Cuban and broadcast.com and people starting, you know, Cisco systems doing networking across the internet. And it really opens yeah. it up because then creative doesn't get stifled. Creativity does not get stifled. Yeah. It's it, different it, than, you know, Ethereum it, because Ethereum is more like, you know, transactional for yeah. moving You just don't go to one website. You don't go to one website to do all your online stuff. It's just, 
like back in the day, yeah, it was like Yahoo or AOL. But in, in Jack, Jack Zamplin explains it like, you know, from a computer science standpoint, it's like the mainframe versus, you know, um, 500 million laptops. It's like back back in the day. Like, like the mesh network idea. Yeah. 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 And I think, I think that as long as you've got your, um, you know, the, the different needs in different places, right? I mean, Google took out Lycos and some other big, you know, search engines and things because there was competition and because there was other options out there than just the one, to your point. Like, you didn't have to just have an AOL. You didn't have to have Lycos. You had other options. And then eventually the market will pick. And that's the beautiful part about it in a free market. You get all these com- competing things, and right now it's going on with liquid staking, and and you know people are picking winners and whatever, right or wrong, right? And we don't necessarily know right now; it's early, um, or maybe there's room for all of them. But look what happened with Lido, right? You start getting into you know pre-staking for the Beacon Chain, and this company kind of—I know they had other experience, of course—but they come out and look at how much they've got of the Beacon now, right? So it's kind of just—it's it, kind of just the ability to allow allow the the markets to decide instead of allowing some hierarchical structure to decide. Yep. Go ahead, Dom. Oh, I I was just going to kind of piggyback on what you and May were saying um, just a bit before uh, Mike's point there. And uh, I appreciate listening to you tonight, Mike. Uh, I just followed you, added you to my following. Um, Cause I love Thank it. You. I can hear somebody actually make well-reasoned points in a space. Um, so yeah, thank you for bringing some good insight here. Um, but the point I was going to bring up and it's not really a big one, uh, but what Sefi was saying, um, it's infinite L1s, right? And I think, um, Mayer was talking about that too. It's like, that's what, uh, kind of, I don't know, the ethos of the cosmos is, is like, it's not just all built on one L1, it's infinite L1s and, you know then it's up to what Mike was saying, like everyone, the consumers to decide which ones are the best L ones. Um, the amazing thing is that just like on Ethereum, where there's a ton of L twos, all of those L ones can have their L twos. And so that is, I think what will make the cosmos ecosystem eventually super, super vibrant and competitive or, um, maybe the go-to ecosystem in terms of, you know, like we like we all talk about, you know, kind of displacing some of these other other L1 ecosystems. Um, but the fact that you could have all these L1s talking to each other and then all those L2s built on top of the L1s, I think that is what um, what keeps me awake at night. <laughs> I think, uh, well, what happened was, so... Um... When Ethan Buckman and company met, uh, I guess, with Jay originally. So Ethan's um, background, or at least undergraduate activity, was in sort of like a biophysics, um, like a biophysics background. In fact, he he recommended a book for me to read the other day. So I like ordered on Amazon about biophysics. But basically, it's uh, kind of like biomimicry. Um, in the technology space, you know, it's like the, and, you know, being a, you know, biology degree and, you know, medical professional and whatnot myself, I kind of understand the, the idea behind this, but like you think about it as life, um, 
you know, bacteria are myriad and like, you know, gajillions of them, right? And there are, and they have survived on this planet for, you know, God knows how long, you know, before the dinosaurs and whatever, right? So, you know, the living systems have so many varying degrees of decentralization, centralization, um, simple systems versus complex systems, you know, all the way to organs to then human brains and everything else. And um, you, you know, so that kind of like biomimicry model and some of these kinds of like different multi-hub and multi-spoke systems that Cosmos is engendering comes from um, some of their, the design choices that were um, inspired by this kind of like biophysics, biomimicry type of idea. So that's where some of this is like, you know, like think of mycelial networks, you know, fungal networks under the ground or bacterial networks or, um, you know, other like systems. Ethan Buckman does a nice YouTube talk, I think 2017 or something like that, where he talked, he kind of did those fungal networks all the time. Yeah. he, He did a talk regarding like weather systems and things too, about how like entropy is dissipated. That's a really um, good analogy, Safi. Yeah, so it's a, it's, a, it's a worthwhile like video That's for you to yeah. watch too. But it, he also with the comparison with Ethereum, it, the advantage is like the, the Ethereum being the base level, the it eventually attracts the capital and and like the money eventually ends up going to the Ethereum through the transactions and ethereum holders like and, and the advantage of having the o, the the l1 is like sunny sunny said in his quote it's it's because um it it doesn't attract um the token of uh it's in, it's in, it's neutral and there's no token or chain at the center so um it encourages other people to build on top of it you know and there's a, there's a there's a little secret in most blockchain technology when you dig into it, is that, and maybe Celestia is building this, but it's a horrible database. It's a terrible place to store data. You got to use IPFS things and other types of ways to put things. But could looking at it from like like a e-commerce type model, like it's really really bad. So um, unless you kind of really dig into the consensus part, putting everything on chain is it's horribly inefficient, right? So in order to build the massive, huge blockchain that everyone's going to use, that's beyond financial systems and beyond transactional, it's going to probably just bog down unless there's just all the data centers in the world kind of feeding this big you know, engine, right? So that's the other thing where just scalability is going to have to require because uh, people don't just, I mean, when you get outside of like just moving packets around for the sake of transactions and you actually want to store tons of data and lots yeah. of databases, you, you have to have, you have to have an infrastructure that scales and blockchain is a terrible uh, mechanism for that, you know, and, and by its nature. And that's actually makes it made really good because then you just use it only for transactions and try to keep it minimalistic. And then you use the SDK to build on top of it and scale at that level so yeah not uh, not everything has to be on chain there's so much all the a lot of the data can be off chain and that's the a lot of the scalability issues with it yeah oh yeah it shouldn't store everything forever i (laughs) shared briefly the video up top 
that's uh, worth checking a look at. I don't know if Mike, you've seen this one, but this is Ethan Buckman discussing the philosophy and engineering um, that he describes for Web three and the Cosmos, and it was uh, a while ago, but um, he does a does a really good presentation from a kind of like you guys a, are so much smarter than I am. Like I have a speech communications degree, and I do tech <laughs> stuff, and I have my whole career, but. I listened to that interview in Bankless with Ryan and uh, Zachy uh-huh. getting into that, whatever you were just talking about, this ethereal thing or whatever. I have no idea what they were talking about. And like you're talking now. So I think that's the beauty of it. Each of us have our own lane and, and all together, we're just so much stronger because we can, we can kind of pull together and look at things in different systems and structures and the, the, the quality of people and from the, uh, Web3 that have pulled together for this, not just looking to make a quick buck, not just looking to kind of, you know, you know, get money, but actually add value is just, I mean, it's really unique and really cool. But I don't, yeah. if I, if I read that stuff or look at that stuff, I mean, I'm going to be, I'm so lost. It's going to be ridiculous. I have no idea what, what you I guys think are this, talking about. This, this video he does here is a really um, nice, like, overview that is designed for um almost anybody to understand i think it's a good it's a good watch it's worth it i'm definitely gonna check that out i've reposted it a number of times so i think it's important for people that sort of understand the cosmos to sort of maybe kind of always come back to this root of how to keep building what he described right there and i I don't think much of what he's described has been fully realized yet either is it about an hour is it about an hour like we need to get back to these roots right here What's that? Yeah, it's, I, yeah. I don't know if I got through it all. When I think I, it's about. Yeah, how long is it? Um, hmm, let me see. It's um, it's not too bad. I think it was. Um, but yeah, I think with it's it's crazy to think that there Ethereum has that mover advantage where like a lot of the TVL is there. A lot of the just the big money is there right now, but it, it it's kind of like the way I, you know, we were talking about earlier, just with the early internet, it's like, as, as time goes on, the, the better technology, like if things are done right, you know, we'll get more user adoption and I, I, I we'll see, we'll see where it goes. This is a, but, this is a half hour video, by the way. Oh, it's it's a half hour. Yeah, okay, it's yeah. a nice little watch. It's worth uh, it's worth watching. You just kind of understand the this like biophysics underpinning. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I think I've watched most of it. Well, anyways, hey, good chat with you guys. I'm gonna step down. I'll listen for a little bit longer. Actually, I think uh, I'm gonna break as well. We've been on for the evening, and I was on the afternoon too. So we're kind of yeah, cool. Thanks a lot. Got to catch up on a few more things before I go to sleep. All right, guys, have a good day, everybody. Thanks for checking out another episode of the Ether. That was Echepe Space, Cosmos Expands. Congratulations, Osmosis. Recorded on Friday, October 28th, 2022. For Terraspaces.org, I'm Finn. Thanks for listening. And if you want to keep listening, head on over to Terraspaces.org slash donate and show some support. Wink, wink.
Nudge, nudge. When we blow through the dust, volcanoes erupt. No one ever guessed that the game would be tough. Keep it hands off when the play is a bust. Plain old and just, so we keep it on the one. Blast off on the two. Help me see the three. Third eye open wide, checking out the scene. Razor beam focused, star scream jokers. Living off the fat of the people they approach. Tell me what happens when the land fights back. With the cliffs at our backs, make the last stand matter. No one ever planned for the famine on deck. We was walking all erect with the dead man swagger. Sitting in a little den, envisioning in the middle men. Listen to the fiddle man play a little ditty then. Talk about how all the leaders seem reptilian. Lost in the maze, trying to make the next bubble billion. Talk about how all the leaders seem reptilian. Lost in the maze, trying to make the next bubble billion. Vision in the middle men Listen to the fiddle man Play a little ditty then Talk about how All the leaders seem reptilian Lost in the maze Trying to make the next No one gave a shit Till the drugs all dried up Everybody died From a bad batch of Lysol But it didn't matter We was all hyped up When the pedal hit the metal He just didn't have the right skill Watched in the daytime Till the night curfew Rats in a cage Till they make time to murk you Got a little job That falls under my purview We gotta get this mob Away from the birds view Gotta find cover, wipe off the bird poop Ride off the work while you try on the worst juice Blinded by perps who try to reverse truth Slide like Fox News just trying to lie to you Eating up the slop like a bunch of hungry vagrants I can't wait for the day they lock us up in stasis Mock up a basement could call me resilient Waiting for the internet to make me a b-b-b-billion Vision in the middle men, listen to the fiddle man, play a little ditty then talk about how all the leaders seem reptilian, lost in the maze, trying to make the next billion. Talk about how all the leaders seem reptilian, lost in the maze, trying to make the next billion. Channel spaces.